Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey. ATG Radio, yeah, uh, the greatest boxing podcast, woo, featuring the coup, you know how we do, yeah, Mike Dawson, Big Time Timmy, Rufus D, Hollywood, Coach Andre, and the Godfather Frank, yeah, that's the crew, so come and get in the loop, so tune in and see just how we do, it's every Monday and every Wednesday, ATG Radio. Yeah. ATG Radio. Now, I'm not trying to say we're the greatest. The most hated, maybe. Well, we might be the greatest. That's just because I don't know what else is out there. No competition. We got the best team in the world. Who you got? We got Tim Cudges, Big Tom Timmy, Rufus Deathabow, Homicide Henry, Kid Thunder, Taylor May, GFL TV, Mr. Bean City, and it ain't pretty, Cornflake repping Vegas across the Jersey City, Mike Dawson, Louisiana getting gritty, Marine Shane, Nate Campbell breathing boxing, Sean Rothman, Nigeria get it poppin'. Ain't no stopping us, Frank stay a marvelous. Haters sit and listen and they can't stop calling us. 347-934-0137 and hit us up, yo. ATG Radio, all the haters know. Undefeated champions and I oh, will never go. Talking boxing, wrestling and MMA. Just keep your mouth shut and hear what I say. ATG Radio. We are the greatest show, rank numero uno, ATG Radio, ATG Radio, we are the greatest show, rank numero uno, ATG Radio, yeah, that's right, ATG Radio. Monday night, Wednesday night, and any night we damn well pleased to be on. That's right. Our squad is the best. Numero uno. 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. www.atgradio.com. want to give you a little old school. Welcome to ATG Radio. You got your host, Mike Doss. You got Andre Rosier coming with some big news. You know uh, there's some stuff brewing right now 
with Derenchenko, with Golovkin. We're going to get the whole story from the coach himself, straight from the horse's mouth. We got Rufus Defoe coming on, possibly some other uh, you know very important figures in the APG clan. Um, but right now, man, what a weekend we had! Uh, boxing, MMA, just everything. Now Conor McGregor, you know, we're going to talk about that too. As much as the boxing fans might want, not want to hear it, but you know, it is news. It is something big. And there's some rumblings right now about Floyd Mayweather, you know, possibly fighting McGregor too. I'm going to talk about that. I don't really. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Let me bring in my. I'm just going to say the other host. You're not my co-host. We're, we're partners here. Rufus Deathabow, representing Ohio. My man, what is going on? Not much, Michael Doss. I've heard what the introductions. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was two for three. I mean, I, you know, uh, Gallimore, I shouldn't have picked him, but, you know, I, there was something I seen in the guy. But J-Rock, you know, losing to Charlo's no, you know, it's not a bad thing. He's still a world-level guy. Uh, probably, mm-hmm. I'd say he's going to pick a belt up definitely uh, next year or so. Um, I shouldn't have picked Gallimore, but I just had that feeling. But guess what? I picked the other two, and uh, wow. No, I mean, you, you absolutely – when I saw the results, I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, <laughs> I was wrong on all of them, and Michael Doss was right on all but one. I was like, son of a bitch. I was tight, though. I was tightening up in that 12th round. Good God. Jared Hur is a fucking monster. I mean – Oh, yeah. He is – and now, now everybody's kind of you know starting to grab on and say, oh, this guy's something. I've been calling this. I mean, he – like I said before – he is the biggest junior middleweight I've ever seen, and I've been watching boxing for 35-plus years. He's huge. And I don't know how the hell he weighed in the same as Laura. I mean, there's no <laughs> – what's, what's his stats again, Doss? What, what do you mean? That, uh, but, like you that said, the biggest and... that you've ever seen and all that. And I'm like, well, what's his stats, you know? Oh, he's just huge. I mean, he's just the, the 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 height, the weight. Man, he looked a lot bigger than Laura. And the ironic thing is, you know, Showtime, they actually let Showtime weigh in the day of the fight. And I think, I believe that he weighed the same, if, if not Laura weighed a little bit more than he did on fight night. And that's insane. There's no way in hell that Laura weighed as much as her. None. You know, but the thing is, you know, it happened like I thought it would. You know, Laura come out, you know, controlled. He he was the boss in the first couple rounds. And I think that's okay with Hurt. Hurt doesn't mind that. And then he kind of gets a feel, and Hurt starts coming, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing. And, uh, you know, everybody was commending Laura, you know, for standing toe-to-toe and, and being right up in, in, in Hurt's face. No, Hurt, he's the one that controlled it. He made Laura fight. If Laura wouldn't have fought, you know, he would have got knocked out. And he finally caved in the twelfth round, and I'm telling you, if that was a fifteen round fight, if that was a thirteen round fight, Laura had been knocked out for the first time. Bet. You know, his body couldn't handle it. He was thirty five he's thirty five years old. You know, the the fights that he had, like I said before, Yuri Foreman, um, you know, Terrell Gaucher, who's a talented fighter, but he's not on that world level yet. I mean, he has the Olympic background, yeah, but he hasn't fought anybody before Laura. You know, that's the two fights that he had in 2017. He didn't have anybody to really push him. And I don't think he's ha- he's never had anybody push him like, you know, hurt, except for maybe Angulo. But he let Angulo – Angulo let him away in spots and let him control the action in spots. 
Kerr didn't let him control anything. And finally in the 12th round, his body gave up on him. You know, he was lumped up. He got tired. And that left hook was a thing of beauty, Rufus. I mean, what did you think in that 12th round? No, I can't argue against any of that, Doss, you know. Um, I'm sorry. My mind is just kind of like frozen trying to think of a larger junior middleweight. (laughs) You know, I keep thinking of somebody like Tommy Hearns, who I thought was absolutely enormous. But that's a little bit above, you know, where where Hurt is right now. But he has that Monzone-esque kind of body, just that huge Mm -hmm. frame. Huge foundation, and you're, you could hit him with a damn Volkswagen going 100 miles an hour. You ain't going to knock him out. Crazy. You know, that's why Monzone, you know, the guy had the talent, but he pushed the action. Very good counterpuncher, but you're not hurting Monzone. You could hit, you oh, could yeah. throw the house at Monzone, not just the kitchen sink. You could throw the shower, the bathtub. It don't matter. You know, you're not hurting Monzone. And, and her, I'm not saying he's like Monzone, and that, but I'm saying the foundation, you know, the, the punches that he can take, you know, the, it's kind of Monzone-esque to me, how big oh, yeah. he is. And Monzone was huge at his weight, man. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, re- that's a huge reason why uh, Monzone is either than the number two middleweight of all time, essentially. Now, I'm not going on a limb and saying that Hurd's going to be accomplishing anything like that. I'm just speaking on foundation, you know, um, uh, the way his body is, how big he is, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. that don't, I don't want the Twitter guys to get all mad and, you know, like some of them don't want to follow us. And so <laughs> I've been reading this stuff. Well, well, that's already going on, so fuck them. Who cares? Well, <laughs> no. no, we love our fans. We definitely love our fans. And I just want them to realize that. You know, if me and you and Andre, you know, if we didn't chip in and keep on doing the show, it might not be going on right now. You know, it would it would not happen. And I don't I, – I, the fans can say what they want. We're boxing fans too. You know, we love this game. We try to bring you guys our opinions, try to bring good guests. And we haven't had the best guests lately, but, man, we've just been concentrating on the talking, and there's been a lot going on. You know, I was saying I'm trying to get Jared Hurd tonight, but the guy, you know, poor guy's just getting back. You know, he's just uh, he's going to rest a little bit. He's the king of the 154 pounders right now. Uh, I'm going to let the king rest on his throne for a little while. <laughs> but just just hang in there. You know, there's all the fans that are talking and 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 being if they're not if you're not pleased, I'm sorry. We're doing the best we can, uh, but I don't want the show to end. And that's why we keep on. We have day jobs. We got families. We got stuff we got to take care of too. Hell, Andre's training champions right now, getting ready for huge fights, but he still has time to come on. So you know, just bear with us, and uh, you know, the, the crew will be back. Hopefully, we'll have you know some of the old you know, Tim and and everybody else will come back on, and uh, we can get get the show back on the road. But in the meantime, we're still talking boxing. We're still having a good time. You know, just sit back and enjoy it. You know, if you don't enjoy it, I'm sorry. That's the best we can do. I'm not. I'm. I know you can be apologetic about it, Doss. But you know, from 2010 to the present time, there were periods of time in this show where we didn't have guests or the best of guests. So I'm not going to really apologize. There's dry spells, you know. For well, everybody. the thing is, you know, when we were we were actually on on fire the most. At the time, back in the day, when Frank got the job with Top Rank, and you know he didn't have time for the show. And of course, I mean he got a, a great job, and you know he, he's trying to, you know he was slammed, and he didn't have time to do this. 
So we understood, but then we, we took a hiatus for a couple of years, and, you know, I don't want that to happen again. And yeah. that's why we that's why we push. That's why Rufus pushes. You know, we're going to make it happen. We want to talk the game, and we'll keep it. We'll keep this simmering. We'll keep it simmering until the other get, or other uh, host co-hosts come on, and uh, the old team will be back eventually. But in the meantime, yeah, we're going to have good conversation. We are going to have good guests, and uh, we're going to give the hopefully give the fans what they want. If we don't, hey, hit us up on Twitter. You know, you don't got to put us out in the open. You can message us in private, but you know, it's all good. <laughs> but we're going to keep on doing it. Uh, but let me go ahead and keep on talking about this because it, it, it was a huge night for Jared Hurd, huge night for the junior middleweight division, uh, just a huge night for boxing and boxing fans. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't a Hurd fan just two, three years ago. I mean, I've seen some talent there, but I wasn't huge on it. But now this dude has grown into a monster, a monster, and I've seen it. You know, I've seen it when he was fighting even Oscar Molina, Galarza, guys like that. He was just going right through them. But when he beat Trout, I knew he was going to knock him out. I called that. You remember that, uh, Rufus. And mm-hmm. I felt the same way for Laura right when I knew this fight was going to happen. I knew her was going to win this fight. You know, I, I didn't know it was going to be this close. I thought he was going to knock him out. But he damn, he'd come damn close, too. And like I said, if there was one more round in that fight, it would have been over. Um, you know, uh, Laura's bitching about, you know, the scores, uh, Ronnie Shields, of course, is bitching about the score. I like Laura. I like Ronnie. Me and Ronnie used to be, you know, damn near best friends. I, I hung out with him for years, you know, his family. I mean, he's a great, great person. But I had to disagree with him. Um, I felt that I, I felt that her was ahead just slightly, but the knockdown was the cherry on the cake. I mean, how are you, I mean, how are you going to give him, you know, give Laura the fight, you know, when it was that close of a fight? And at the end of that fight, he was trying to fight back, but he was done. He was done. That left hook was a thing of beauty. And I don't think, even Angulo, when Angulo knocked him down, it was more of a flash knockdown. He was hurt a little bit, but he was hurt bad Saturday night. What do you think, Rufus? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, like I said, Was that you know, the, the, the worst you ever seen that, him that's hurt? The, I would say so. Um but, you know, that's, like I said, you know, it being a split decision, you know, he needed that moment, you know, to make the difference, you know, and uh, that that was the equalizer right there. To be honest with you, a guy like Laura, even though I picked a knockout, I'm kind of glad it, it ended the way it did and her won the fight. You know, it went to a decision. You know, Laura looked like a warrior in the ring. You know, he got a lot of bad press through the years for being a boring fighter. Um, I still think that if he if he could have made this boring, he would have. But Hurd was not going to let that happen. But it looked good on Laura, and I'm glad because he's a long-reigning champion, and I got nothing but respect for him. He's one of the most talented fighters in the world still. But he just met a guy that was just too much. And you know, um, the thing with guys is that um, sometimes you can lose and still come out a winner. And a guy like Laura, who, like you said, he can be in a very boring fighter because nobody can really match up to him. So when you have an equally good dance partner to work with who's of a conflicting style, make you look like a million dollars so he didn't lose nothing because exciting fights is what he needed. So I but at the end of that fight to me Rufus he was a beaten man. 
Oh, he's uh, a big man, but he's, but, he's, but he's still a winner, you know, of coming out of, of that. Of course he is. Now, will he accomplish what he has now, you know, after this? I really don't know. That that's who knows that was a because when round. fights are that close, and then you just have that moment where he became a beaten man, you can easily sell a rematch or something on that. Oh, of course, and I'm shocked that that you know Laura, you know, having the upper hand in the negotiation, having you know uh, the long reigning you know champion. I'm surprised, and I think it, there's a possibility, but if there's not, I'd be shocked that there's not a rematch clause. You know, Laura was definitely the name in this fight. He was the he was the header. You know, like I said, long reign champion, um, well well known in boxing circles. I mean, his his lawyer, his managers should have got a rematch clause, and if they didn't, that's a ballsy move. Because when you fight a guy that's 185, you know, 180, 185 pounds in a ring, I don't care what the Showtime scale said. There's no way this dude was 163. None. But when you have a guy that you know is so big and he fights like that, they they should have realized that it was going to be a challenge. He's got a belt around his waist too. Any unification mm-hmm. fight should have a rematch clause. Oh yeah, that and question. it doesn't sound like it does. I mean, it doesn't. He didn't say anything in after after the fight. None of his people has said anything. I'll have to talk with uh, Louis de Cubas uh, and talk to uh, Mario Serrano and see if that's the case. Um, but if it is the case, I don't know if I want to see it right away. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. I look at boxing, Rufus. You know, you got to look at it as as a whole fight, of course, but you also got to look at it round by round. And for oh, yeah. rounds one to eleven, you know, Laura was he still had quite a bit. Round twelve, I didn't like what I seen, and I would I would not be shocked if he doesn't come back the same, because I'm telling you, he's in a deep division, one of the deepest in boxing right now, and you know, just just a couple pounds north, you got you know one you. Probably the biggest division right now. He's got so much talent around him. I don't know if he can get another belt. I don't know if he can get you know his previous stature back. What do I, you think about I, that? Well, you know, you were talking about the division north, you know, which is the middleweight division. Um, I, I might be maybe I'm in the wrong for saying this, but I think that the that division I think is really going to open up soon. Because there's only so long Gennady Golovkin's got at age uh, 36. And you're going to have left essentially Billy Joe Saunders and Canelo. Canelo's a bit tarnished. People may not want to fuck with him. Um, it's possible you could move up and have success. Because I think it's going to open up sooner rather than later. As far as 154, yes, it's exploding. Uh, welterweight is still going strong, so oh, if yeah. he's got a shot, he's got to go up to like 160. This is the best cluster of boxing, you know, like stair steps, probably in a long time. You know, maybe since even in, since I'd probably I'd probably say the 1940s. Or Tommy Hearns. I, I, would I would say the 1940s. You think it's better than the you know Hagler Hearns? Leonard, yeah, you got to remember Hagler was at 160. Yeah, you still had Leonard at 147, moving up. You know, you had Terry Norris a little bit above. After that, you had some just phenomenal talent and three divisions in a row. 
And they all well, if you also together. if you also throw in the lightweight division, you know, you had Duran and you know you had Benitez and Arguello and a bunch of people. But they were kind of working their way up, and then Duran kind of met up, you know, at 147, uh, you know, with Leonard, and then a little bit above that with Hearns. I mean, all that happened when all guys were kind of moving up together, and I kind mm-hmm. of feel like that is a possibility. You know, guys like Errol Spence moving up. You know, guys like uh, I could, it, I could see Spence moving up oh, most yeah. definitely. Now, I'm going to throw this in, and before I do that, you know, anybody wants to call in, we're just having a good conversation. Me and Rufus waiting on Andre Rozier to break some news about possibly the Golovkin situation. Uh, huge night tonight. You know, uh, I'll call in. You know, nine two nine four seven seven nineteen fifty two. Nine two nine four seven seven. 1952. Call in. Let us know what you think about the weekend, the middleweight division, and we're going to throw some Conor McGregor in there, too. The hell with it. We're going to talk about MMA, boxing. Hell, we'll talk wrestling. I don't care. What do you think, Rufus? Yeah, it's all good to me. All right. Well, yeah. I'm going to throw this out there. And people mm-hmm. are going to say, oh, you're a fanboy now. You're you know, you're know, on yeah. Jared Hurd's nuts. You love the guy. You know, whatever. This is, I'm, a, I'm all about fan friendly fights. And I'm going to be honest with you, if HBO, which will be a bad move for boxing, if they continue, and I'm hearing this is going to happen, if they continue to make this fight on May 5th a pay-per-view, and, and they're talking about Spike O'Sullivan, that it's going to bomb. Now, I'll tell no, you the how way you I, the way The way I hear it for May 5th, it is moved directly to HBO. It isn't going to be a pay-per-view. Oh, they're changing their mind again on that? Because I'm hearing it went to the StubHub, or it's possibly going to the StubHub in, in Los Angeles. So now it is going to be HBO. It, it is going to be HBO. They're well, going to telecast it on HBO, and that's the right move to make, considering the drop you know, in uh, status. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, and there's no way in hell this could probably happen, but I'll tell you what I would love to see. And people are going to say, oh, you're crazy, you're just a fanboy. No. Styles make fights. Boxing, you know, needs fan-friendly fights. And you want to talk about the, probably the most fan-friendly fight in the boxing right now? Put in Jared Hurd with Triple G, and I guarantee you there's going to be dynamite exploding in that damn ring. <laughs> it, it would probably be... Um... Almost a bit like uh, Hearns and uh, Marvin Hagler a bit. I, I think it would be a pretty good shootout for a while. But obviously the bigger man, I think, trumps on that one. Yeah, but who's the bigger man? I mean, could you imagine Jared Hurd at 160? Holy shit, he'd be a heavyweight. <laughs> Probably. I'm just being honest. I don't think Triple G will be as big as Jared Hurd. If, if Jared Hurd went to 160... Now, but, but I think what, what counts happen. is what I think counts is that Triple G's got the chin to take that kind of power, whereas maybe a Jarrett Hurd don't. That's I don't kind of the, the mean, thing. He was getting he was getting caught with like just solid you know, shots by Lauren. Lauren can bang, and he was just like winking at him. It wasn't even hurting him. Like a fly was on his head or something. It just it was annoying. <laughs> yeah, you know. I think this guy's a monster, man. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, when back in the day, you know, when you had Mickey Ward fighting on ESPN, you had Arturo Gatti fighting on HBO, everybody knew 
that and Max Kellerman was saying it, and he, he kind of took credit saying, oh, I started this, bullshit. You know, fight fans, you know, from the beginning were saying Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti would be just electric. Everybody knew that. If you're a fight fan, you knew that. If you're a fight fan, you know right now that Jared Hurd and Triple G would be unbelievable. I mean, I want to see it. Will it happen? Probably not because politics and everything else. Um, Spike O'Sullivan would be a good fight with Triple G. would be fun for a short well, time. Well, well considering but, that there's the big uh, negotiations, allegedly, supposedly, with Billy Joe Saunders for September, but there ain't much room at all for a Jarrett Hurd. So. No. And Jarrett Hurd's got... And, 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 I'll be, and I'll be honest, I think a Billy Joe Saunders has the strongest chance of anybody to beat Gennady Golovkin because I of his speed. So there it goes. It's the speed, it's the you know, the stance. The, it's the, the unorthodox, that, yeah. that gypsy unorthodox style, like Tyson Fury and all that. that they just make everybody. Shit, they, they got that shit down, Rufus. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and Nathan Gorman has it too. I can I can see a little bit in him. Oh yeah, that they do that Michael Spinks Jinx movement type shit <laughs> to where you you don't know what they're going to hit you with, and it makes you think too much. So, and even Huey Fury. Oh yeah, he does. The same way. And the, you know, the, after the thing seeing with, what Joshua you know went through with mm-hmm. Parker, which we knew Parker was going to be a tough nut to crack. We mm-hmm. everybody said that. Uh, yeah. I think it makes Huey Fury look a little better. Uh, I think if you, if you really think about it, considering his long inactivity, no tune-ups, nothing, and fights Parker, and yes, it was a very atrocious fight to watch. But I can appreciate the scientific merits of it to where I'm like, he made him look like shit. Absolutely like dog shit. <laughs> and you're, I always think if he was inactive and he had a little bit more offense to his game, would he have won? You know, and that's quite a question to speculate on. Well, speaking of dog shit, the undercard of the large error fight. Uh, I wouldn't say dog shit. It, it, it was it was a tough, just a rugged, kind of boring at, at times. Um, but I, I call that too. A lot of people thought it might have went the other way. Uh, James DeGale, you know, regains the IBF Super Middleweight Championship over a very game, you know, Kayla Truex. Uh, Truex came to fight. He tried, but he didn't show the same luster that he had last time. I don't know if it's because he won a belt. And he didn't train as hard because he, you know, but, I mean, he's a warrior. I mean, he was in shape. He just couldn't get off like he used to before in the first fight. DeGale picked him off a lot more. Uh, he had trouble early, you know, in the middle rounds. He, he kind of pulled it through it late in the fight, and he wins his belt back. I mean, I figured that was going to happen. Um, I didn't see no controversy there. What did you think, Rufus? It was the right man won it. You know, there ain't much close. to argue there. But um, Caleb didn't. He wasn't the boss. He didn't control. He, he was lot. more crisp. He was there more. There was a lot crisp. of ineffective aggressiveness from Truex, and I think DeGale countered him with good shots, and I think that's what prevailed. You know, James DeGale in that fight. Oh yeah. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm glad DeGale won. I love Truex. Um, you know, he's a staple with ATG Radio, even though it never came on after he won the belt. But it's okay. We still love you. Um, but I'm glad DeGale won because we can see his sister. 
you know, as a, on every fight. I mean, man, holy shit. They know how to raise them, don't they? Jesus. I mean, James, don't whip my ass, man. I mean, if you're listening, which there's a possibility, um, don't be mad at me, but your sister's smoking. Holy crap. <laughs> I mean, Rufus, oh, you, you like the Gypsy Girls, but you probably got to take a pass. You know, I mean, come on. You know, you're, you're down with the Gypsies, but you, you know she's smoking hot. I, I'm not going to deny that one iota, Doss. Um, <laughs> it, it makes me laugh, though, some of the conversations. you know, It reminds me of the movie um, Million Dollar Baby, and you went on and on about uh, the antagonist in the movie. What was her name? Lucia Riker. Oh, yeah, you, you was like, oh, I would go a few rounds with that. And I'm like, hey, whatever floats your boat, man. I, now, Christina Hammer. Now, Christina Hammer or something like that, you know. That, well, now, that's it? a hot Ina woman. Mesner. There's another one uh, from Germany. What's her dang name? It was back in the day. She had the little curls and all that. In her. Oh, my gosh. She was very beautiful. But I'm not going to be all pervert. You know, I'm just going to call it like I see it. Um, I'm not going to say she's smoking hot anymore, but James DeGale's sister is a very, very classy-looking woman. And I am just glad that we will be able to see her on Showtime in the near future. So, yeah. <laughs> because the girl said he was going to retire if he didn't win this fight. So, you know, if he retires, no more sisters. <laughs> <laughs> but to be honest with you, the Gale, I, I never liked James DeGale. When he won the gold medal and all the hype and everything, I, I didn't see what a lot of people seen. You know, then he lost to George Gross, who was another you know, talented guy. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. know. I thought he was just going to continue the same path and, you know, fight in England and, you know, uh, fight boring fights and you know be matched very carefully. And you know what? He he wasn't. You know, he fought in England for a while, but then he, he starts fighting in Boston against Darrell. You know, uh, he goes to Canada and fights Butte. And when you at the time that Butte, you know, he was kind of oh, on the yeah. downside. But it's still a dangerous, uber dangerous fight. Going to Quebec and fighting Butte is you know that's ballsy. And this guy oh, yeah. started becoming a road warrior, and I, I fell in love with him as a fighter, man. I mean, you know, his fight with Porky Medina was insanity. You know, his fight with Badu Jack, Jack I thought Badu Jack won that fight, but Gale showed so much heart that you just hated to see him lose. I was glad there was a draw, but I knew that Jack really won the fight, but it, I wasn't mad about it. You know, the guy has shown so much heart. You know, in the last couple of years, three, four years, and I'm I'm a huge fan now. Even though it's, you know, his sister's beautiful too, but I mean, the guy is just, <laughs> but the guy the guy is just a fan friendly fighter now, and he showed a lot of heart, and he showed a lot of heart by going and fighting Truex in the United States, where you know Truex probably would have took a payday to go back overseas to England, but they gave the American fight fans a treat. Uh, the fight wasn't you know spectacular especially given, you know, the fight after that with her and Laura. But it was still a treat, a good fight, and DeGail showed a lot of heart. And I'm glad he's still a champion. He deserves it. He worked hard. And I hated to see a guy like him retire because I know that Truex won't. He's going to keep on going. Uh, he'll fight for a long time. Uh, DeGail, you know, I'm, just, I'm glad we can still see him. So I'm not mad at that decision whatsoever. Um, you know, and then, you know, you had um, – you had uh, uh, J. Rock Williams. 
you know, like I said before, fighting Gallimore. Uh, Gallimore could have done a lot more in that fight. He was fighting in spurts, and with a guy like Julian Williams, you can't fight in spurts. you got to counter him you know, while he's throwing combinations, just like Charlo did. That's how Charlo won that fight. He got him in the middle of the combination and then just nailed him with a great counterpunch. Uh, Gallimore didn't really – I ain't going to say he don't have the skill level for that, but he just didn't show it, you know, on fight night, I think he was kind of overwhelmed by the the multi punches that that Williams was show, was, was throwing, the combinations. Uh, he just couldn't get off, and uh, that was Williams' game plan. He followed it, and you know he come out he come out victorious. He did a good job. Sorry, I'm a bit distracted, Doss. I had to look at James DeGale's sister. <laughs> On Google, and it was funny because I typed in his name and automatically it came up James DeGale's sister as the top thing. Exactly. To I'm not like the only one, my friend. <laughs> There's That's many horn dogs like me. Uh, I'm I'm with you on that, but <laughs> but you know what? I gotta kind of you know I can admire the beauty, but her brother would. Beat the lip. It would kill me with his hands. So I, you know, I gotta stay away from that shit. Because you know that anybody that dates, you know, James is Gail's sister, has to really worry about getting that ass whooped. You gotta be very respectful. Oh, you know, I you know, always he might wondered, be one of them brothers that's you know very protective. I've always which I wondered that. I've always wondered that with guys who you know had good-looking sisters and were fighters or. It was like the fathers of like good-looking daughters, like um, Bianca Van Dam, her dad being Jean Claude Van Dam. You know how scary that would be. Yeah, but he would just pretend him off. You know, <laughs> he'd have to have the camera going and all that. James DeGale yeah. will hurt you. <laughs> he actually punches for real. You know, it ain't it ain't you know. It ain't orchestrated. Well, I'll tell you another one who's good looking, but you never really hear it brought up is Jerry Cooney's daughter. Now that is a good looking woman, and she really? can actually throw hands too. Really, I would never oh, yeah. thought that Jerry Cooney would. <laughs> I'm not saying. I mean, dude, the guy. I mean, he's an epitome of a fighter. Look at his face. Yeah, but he took a yeah. bunch of punches, you know, in his career too. But uh, I just never would have thought he would have had a hot daughter. <laughs> Well, the thing is, if you look at Jerry Cooney before he fought Larry Holmes, you know, and kind of went downhill, he actually was kind of a good-looking guy in a way. But uh, we're going to stop this conversation. Hey, I'm just saying, you know. But you know, that, Jerry that, Cooney, well, why do you think the Great White Hope thing sold with him? Women thought he was good-looking, so there. You go. Oh, I know, I know. They sure didn't think that about Corey. You know, Corey, he had to go with the Irish tag because no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was one rugged bastard. But, oh, yeah. you know, we were ta- talking about Corey, you know, a couple weeks ago about punishment mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you know, after our, our last show, you know, I had to get on YouTube, and, and I love YouTube. I, I love it. I mean, it's a fight fan's dream. You know, back in the day, you'd have to get you know older tapes from some guy, get on the phone. Oh yeah. You know, go back through in all the your day, collection. tape trading. Tape yeah, trading was to, a big business. Oh, I was big into that. And and the thing is, you know, it, even if I had the fights, I'd have to go back and I'd have to look at all the numbers. And, and you know, I didn't. It was all. It wasn't the or, most organized collection. I'd have to dig and, and and scratch around and find the fights. But all you got to do is type in the name, and you've got a okay. whole career pretty much. It, it's such a great thing. You know, boxing fans back in the seventies, eighties, and early nineties. You know, we were so. You know, desperate 
you know, just to mm-hmm. find a guy to talk boxing to. I'd have to. I mean, I used to wait up at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, get out a payphone, put twenty five dollars in the payphone just so I could talk boxing to some guy in the UK about UK fights. And then oh, he, yeah. he wanted the same for me. You know, talk about UK or United States fights because we didn't have you know the luxury of streaming you know anything and and, and you know basically typing typing in a name on YouTube and having you know, all these fights come up. You know, it's such a treat now. And we are fucking spoiled, Rufus. We oh no, spoiled. I remember. I remember back in the day, my go-to guy. I used to go to this guy, and he, I'd be like, "Here, here is a list of names. Like, I want some of their fights." And the guy would send me the tapes like a week later. You know, what I mean, he had an exactly. extensive collection from like USA, you know, um, Tuesday night fights, Friday night fights, then HBO, and almost everything. You know, back then. You were back in back in the late nineties, early two thousands when HBO, you know, would come on. I would get goosebumps, man. Like when Foreman and Lampley would get together. You know, uh, you know what a uh, merchant would get on there. I mean, it just you, you got that warmth about you when the fight was about. To there happen. was there was a prestige to boxing back then. Exactly, and, and, and a lot of people like, don't understand that today. Just like with Tuesday night fights with Sean O'Grady and Al Albert and and all them, it was just you got that warmth about you. And it's all gone now. I mean, I'm starting to get that with Showtime, but I just mm-hmm. can't latch on, you know, with the commentary. Al Bernstein is is awesome, but you know, I love Al else. Bernstein, but um, Mauro Ranello is is horrible in my opinion. I'll you know, never forgive him for the Lennox Lewis jab. I'll never do that. No, uh, the thing with me, I used to have such respect, you know, and admiration at least for like Paulie Malignaggi. But the moment he got involved in the whole Conor McGregor thing and everything, and he is so played out, and he has made himself out to be such a, pr- a vindictive prick in a way that I'm like, I can't even like this guy anymore. <laughs> you know? Well, he's like the referee that tries to be the star of the show. You want to mm-hmm. you want to see two guys fight, and they're 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 giving a great fight, and then you got this ref that just keeps on breaking them up. Pulling points away, you know, he takes over. He's like he wants to be the lead guy, and you're supposed to be that quiet guy in the corner. You break it up if it, if it gets crazy. You know, no one needs to really know you and see you. And that's what Paulie, you know, should have done sparring with Conor McGregor. It, it, it should have been, you know, very quiet. It should have been, you know, he should have been doing what a sparring partner does: really try to get the guy ready for a fight. And he saw money, and I, he, he went for it. That's how I think. I like Paulie, but I was—I thought he was all wrong about the Conor McGregor stuff. I, I didn't like that whatsoever. If they want to take tidbits of – now, I can't say I blame him you know, all the way because, you know, what Conor McGregor's team did, they took clips from the, from the spar, and they made Conor McGregor look good. But did you really think they were not going to do that? You've got a guy that everybody's doubting. Everybody says, oh, he's going to get destroyed. you got a few little good clips. You know, why not? Say, hey, pay me. I'll look bad. I don't care. I'll make it look like this guy is whipping my ass. Who cares? Pay me. And he oh, just yeah, he, well, he went crazy. And, and he could have handled that I don't so understand why I don't understand why he took it so personally in a way. Because, I mean, it's a tale as old as time, like – because I remember in the 80s when Roberto Duran went over to the UK and, like, knocked out Johnny Bizarro. And, you know, he sparred with Nigel Ben, you know, to sell Ben's next fight. 
you know, and right. all this other shit. So, I mean, what the hell's the point in getting upset well, look at about shit? Julio Cesar Chavez sparring Oscar De La Hoya when he was a kid, beating the shit oh, out of yeah. You know, oh, uh, yeah. Shane Mosley sparring, you know, uh, I mean, there's so many, you know, sparring clips from back in the day. I mean, like I said before, I, I used to have a major collection. I, I got you know, one time Ronnie Shields told me when I was at his house, he said, you know what? I got a collection of fights. You know, you know that I'm going to let you get up in my closet or in my uh, in my attic and I'm going to let you have these fights. And I'm like, holy shit. It's like the Holy Grail. I mean, this guy's been training for 30 years. You know how much great stuff I got? Our deal was I was going to compile it to DVD for him because they were all videotapes. I start busting these tapes out. I see Evander Holyfield kicking the shit out of David Tua in a sparring session, hitting him with a body shot and knocking him out, and David Tua gets so mad he storms out of the damn ring. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. That's another thing what I love about YouTube in a way is you see so many sparring sessions over the years. Like you brought up Jerry Corey. I saw one of Jerry Corey, and it's the only film that is known of Monty Masters, who was the Oklahoma heavyweight in the 80s, who everybody thought was going to be big things, you know, um, and with the O'Grady's and everything else. Everybody thought it was going to be huge. And then, and it was Jerry Corey sparring with uh, Monty Masters in this outdoor, you know, ring and everything. And I was like, man, I could only imagine the amount of tapes that are lost in somebody's fucking attic or closet somewhere just waiting to be revealed. One tape right now that's at Roy Jones Sr.'s house in his attic, which he says is Sugar Ray Leonard sparring his son. And that's like been a holy grail fight. I even told her before, I want to go to your dad's house and I want to check. I want to find this damn fight. Okay. <laughs> he thought I was a freak, I think, but you know. But but for hardcore collectors, that's like the holy grail, man. You got you got so much crazy sparring, you know, crazy stuff that that, that happened in boxing, and a lot of it leaked out, a lot of it didn't. But you know, you do have guys out there that want to find it and leak it out. So it's just because people want to see something different. They want to see, you know. That's why, uh, that's why I, I go to Box Rec all the time, and I try to educate some of these younger fans on there a lot of time. I said, what I loved about the era I grew up in, I said, you got to see exhibition fights on TV for free all the time, too. And I said, and those were just as big as a treat as anything else, you know. Um, I don't know how many exhibition fights I've seen Mickey Rourke be in. Or Jerry Cooney and Michael Dokes and other people. But look at Corey so, knocking out George Foreman and sparring, you know, stuff oh like yeah. that. You know, Corey was a damn. He was just he was a gym warrior. He was a gym legend, and he was a legend in the pro ring too. But that's one thing about Corey. If you were going to be in the ring, with Corey, you knew you had a pack of lunch. You knew you were about to get you know perdition pain. Well, if you're sparring, with, if you're fighting, Jerry Corey. Jerry Corey, he's either the most overrated contender or he's the most underrated, you know, depending on who you talk to. (laughs) But any guy who could stand toe-to-toe with Ernie Shavers and knock Ernie Shavers out in the first round, that's a guy, if you put him in any other era than the one he was in, he would have been undisputed champion. Without question. When you get a guy like George Foreman who says, hell no, I'm not fighting that fucking guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you are one bad mofo. 
<laughs> oh yeah. And you know, even though Corey, you know, Corey, you know, he died of dementia. He had a, a lot of problems after his career. Uh, I felt real bad about that man, you know, because he he was a warrior. He gave his all. And later on in life, his body shut down, you know, because he just he was such well, a hard the, the sad thing about it. Because I've seen Jerry Corey make a comeback, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. Even when his body was shutting down, he knocked the hell out of Lorenzo Zanin, you know, when he was already starting to develop the dementia and everything. It wasn't a good fight, mind you, but he got the job done, which kind of showed you just how special he was. Well. You know, I'm going to revert from Jerry Quarry to today's, you know, the day and age. And 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 mm-hmm. one thing about it, it's just any fighter that fights like that, you know, it might have trouble later on. Their career might be shortened up. Uh, I am going to say, even though how impressed I was with Jared Hurd, I think that Hurd is going to have a very short career, especially if he keeps on fighting the way he does. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a way that Quarry fight. I mean, if Quarry had more technique about him, you know, and to an extent. But Hurd, you know, reminds me of Corey just the way that he comes, you know, he pressures, he relies on his power, uh, he relies on his, you know, on his size, and he just overwhelms his opponent. Um, but you, and when you do that, you know, you're putting, your, you know, you're putting your head in a mixer blade because you're getting punched too, and you're not showing the defense. And, and you know, Corey didn't have the greatest defense. You know, he didn't. And I think that Hurd is going to have, I'm not saying he's going to have a similar career as Corey as like later on in life, but I think that his career is going to be shortened up, kind of like Corey to an extent. And I think eventually he's going to take a lot of punishment. And I hate to see that happen. But I do think that, you know, that Hurd, his, his career is not going to last a long time. But just enjoy it while you can. Well, you know, in my experience, the smaller guys who fight like that, they tend to burn up faster in a way than bigger guys who fight that way. Um. And when I mean by burn up, it's after they take so many punches, you start noticing that they're not as fast as they were. Their reflexes are not as sharp and everything else. And the decline really happens more apparently and obvious than it does with the big guy because the big guy can at least land one punch and make you forget about it. Well, you know, we're going to we're going to switch up again. Speaking of Irish punching bags, um, Conor McGregor, (laughs) the UFC. Yeah. Um, you know, had a um, had a little tie-in, you know, with uh, with mm-hmm. other people in the UFC, uh, with a bus and with a dolly, mm-hmm. <laughs> not a chick named Dolly, a dolly. Uh, apparently, out of nowhere, you know, you had the bus there. Um, you had the footage. Just Conor McGregor, he, he wasn't running. I don't think he was just walking kind of fast. It didn't seem like he was about to pull, you know, a felony. But apparently, you know, well, it's up to the it's up to the, the New York City Police. But Twenty charges, two of which are felonies. Twenty what? Twenty really? charges, two of which are felonies, which is why he had to pay fifty thousand dollars, you know, in bonds to get out. How the hell they get twenty charges out of that shit? I mean, come on, that's well, overkill to me, Rufus. I mean, I'm not oh, a huge is. McGregor fan, and I think he was very wrong. But come on, 20 chart plus two felonies? He, uh, well, including, including, it was like 18 charges plus like two felonies on it. Um, I don't, I don't see how you can get 20 charges out of that. Well, they they had it on the news where they showed the whole thing. I don't know exactly 
more or less it all boiled down to essentially like uh, assault, um, destruction of property, um, mischief, you know, all kinds of, you know, misdemeanor mostly shit. But uh, the big no-no was him being a foreigner and coming over to America and doing that shit. Well, the big thing was being a professional prize fighter. And, you know, doing that shit, causing, you know, three fights, you know, basically hurting the fucking USC fans that are paying sixty four ninety five, you know, for uh, good fights and take three of them away. And then you got, you know, Holloway, you know, pulling or getting medically unfit to fight. How the hell mm-hmm. does that happen? The day of the fight. Come on. That's bullshit. You know, there was just some shady stuff going on. Then you get Ally Aquina, who just happens to be, you know, from that area that gets the fight with uh, with Khabib. And uh, come on, you don't think? I mean, there there was some shady stuff going on. It, it all seems very convenient in a way, I must admit. But then again, you know, I've seen crazy shit happen, and. That's the kind of shit you can't really make up. You know, so. well, well, here's the thing, though. You know, if you had, let's just say, you know, theoretically, you know, you got mm-hmm. a boxer that did that shit, he would be arrested. You got James Butler, you know, sucker punching Richard Grant on ESPN, you know, going mm-hmm. to jail. You know, I think he was in prison for a while for that shit. You know, and then he gets out and just goes crazy and you know did what what he did. But you have you know other guys. That that mess up in boxing, they get arrested and for a long damn time. You get Conor McGregor that hurts these these people, throws a dolly at a bus, you know, gets glass shattered everywhere, and he gets arrested. But Dana White doesn't fucking fire him, you know, doesn't suspend him. I haven't seen anything from Dana White, you know, about well, Conor think, McGregor. Um, well, I think because UFC is a publicly traded entity. It isn't just white, because I think white only owns 10% of it. So if they feel Conor McGregor is worth the money, they ain't going to get rid of him. No way, no how. Not not considering that uh, apparently the deal with Floyd Mayweather and McGregor 2 in the cage is actually going to happen. I don't, I don't think it is, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't think it's going to happen yet. There's a possibility, but you've got to give him something. You've got to suspend him or you've got to, you know, find him. I mean, you've got to do something. You know, and, and it's been, you know, it's been, what, three days, four days, and there's nothing uh, my, going my on. Prediction, my prediction on that is they're probably going to suspend him maybe six months, not including lawsuits for loss of money. And revenue and whatnot like that, but like I said, he's worth too much money to them for them to really punish him too severely or anything like that. And uh, because, quite honestly, uh, the billion-dollar fight Mayweather yeah, McGregor you know, too. You know who gets hurt in the long run? It's Khabib. You know, Khabib. You know, fights. You know, the guy was going to fight the day of the fight or the the night before. He pulls out. They they declare him medically unfit to fight, and then he gets Ally Aquin, a totally different guy. You know, in his in his home state, and he does what he has to do. He didn't look great. Ally Aquin is a tough tough dude. 
and uh, he did what he had to do. He won the fight. He's undefeated, about 26-0. and 0. That's crazy. And MMA? That's insane. Mm-hmm. And he has to wait for Floyd Mayweather to fight, you know, Conor McGregor after McGregor did all the shit that he did. Uh, the well, reason considering he McGregor, well, considering McGregor, I don't believe has any belts anymore. Oh, you know, yeah, he, was stripped, he, he was stripped. He was stripped of all has that. the belt that he had, and you know <laughs> he, he's the guy in the division now. You know he's the the champion, and you know oh, I yeah. think the champion. He waited that long. You know he should get Conor McGregor. He never went to boxing. You know he never you know did a lot to divert his career. He's been you know focused on everything. He's been focused on the top guys in his division. I think that Floyd Mayweather goes over and gets Conor McGregor before you know Khabib does. I think it's a travesty. I really do. It is a it is a travesty in a lot of ways, but at the same time, again, this is a business. It's kind of like pro wrestling in a way, you know, to where you're, you're going to do what makes the most money, not the thing that is right, you know. So I know, but it, it just it's, it's horrible to me that Dana White you know hasn't even really said that he's considering like a suspension. You know, the well, New York like I said, publicly should suspend the hell out of him. And here's the thing. If Nevada State Commission you know, suspends somebody, usually 99.9% of the time, every commission in the United States will do the same. And they also follow suit with the New York Athletic Commission. If the New York Athletic Commission suspended Conor McGregor from even going into New York, you know, for any kind of venue, mm-hmm. for any kind of sport, you know, they would follow suit, and he might not be able to fight in the States for a long time. And so oh, that'd probably be the case, but then again, the U- the UFC no, has the big market. markets in Europe, big markets in Russia, you know, Australia. They could sell that anywhere they wanted to, really. Oh, they put Khabib and fucking you know, McGregor in Russia. It would be like Joshua and Klitschko in the UK. I think that's where it would only make sense, really, is in Russia, since Khabib is Russian. But um, but they do Ireland. They would they would probably sell the whole country. <laughs> Oh yeah, that would be sold out like within like an hour. To be honest, you know. to be honest with you, you know. Um, but I wish Mayweather would just you know, accept retirement, do what he has to do, keep on promoting, and uh, you know, apparently he uh, well, <laughs> he's a good promoter, but he's he's making a stupid decision because uh, if he does continue with this, because he was mm-hmm. interviewed, he was re- interviewed with his red hat and you know, looking all. Uh, Floyd Mayweather-ish, uh, yeah. and he was asked about uh, you know about Lomachenko versus Javante Davis. He put it out there with Jim Gray. He said, "I I have been in talks with Todd DeBuff, with Todd, Frank, and we are considering you know Javante Davis fighting Vasily Lomachenko, mm-hmm. and that's huge news. It really is. Now, my question is, Rufus, is Javante Davis? Does he know about this? And what are his thoughts?" Because he's been pretty, you know, <laughs> mom about the subject. Because I don't think he wants anything to do with a guy named like Vasily Lomachenko. Well, who the hell does? You know, that's kind of the thing. You know, yeah. um, you know, when you make a guy like Gorillo Rigamendiel quit and made him look so bad, you know, who Nicholas the hell Walters does? Quit. You know, undefeated champion. You know. You know, I mean, he, he's he been making guys quit, you know, the last three guys. And the thing is, you know, you'd be a, you'd be just totally just stupid to put your guy in there with him. But Floyd Mayweather is not stupid. We all know that. Um, he He's up to something. 
he's up to something. Um, he might be trying to cash out Javante Davis. I've heard for a I, long I time. Think that, I think that would make maybe the most sense. But then again, you know, you can't There's make anybody fight if they don't want to. A lot of drama going on. There's been rumors, you know, uh, regarding Javante Davis and Floyd Mayweather's daughter, you know, before uh, Floyd fought you know, Conor McGregor. Uh, there's been a lot of, you know, real deep drama. That's And it's rumors, so you can't believe everything. But, you know, from the source I had, it was pretty legitimate. And uh, mm-hmm. Floyd was very, very salty about it. And uh, you know what? It makes sense. After what he said Saturday night, you know, matching a young guy, what, 23 years old, a new champion um, that's had a rocky road already against a monster like Vasily Lomachenko, uh, he did say he, he definitely pissed in his Cheerios. Oh yeah, but then again, you know that in and of itself, going back to the McGregor thing, that was outshined by the fact a few seconds later, Floyd Mayweather says, "Oh, I'm enjoying retirement, but if I come back, it'll be with the UFC." And then today it drops that. There was an agreement. There already is negotiations going on. And like I predicted a few weeks ago, the specialized contract, no kicks, no ground and pounds, no submissions, just essentially a stand-up boxing match and everything. So, Well, there's also been other big news today. Um, it's been reported uh, Monday at th- this morning, 3 a.m., Monday morning, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, Florida mm-hmm. is in Atlanta for some business. He had three cars with him, had his whole entourage was with him, going to the hotel, and all of a sudden, I think it was in the, um, the hotel parking lot, I believe, or it was before they got to the hotel. You know, somebody started firing shots. They they fired at one of the cars. All three cars sped off. The the, the shooter was following them. I guess they, they, they you know, they lost the shooter. But, you know, during the exchange, during the shots, one of his bodyguards, Greg LaRosa, who's a longtime, you know, uh, bodyguard of Floyd Mayweather's team, on a security team, uh, got shot in the leg. And right now, the Atlanta PD is saying, you know, they don't believe that it was a random shooting. They think definitely, you know, it's not Floyd Mayweather, somebody in his team, maybe the guy that got shot was targeted. Damn. So... Uh, that's weird, man. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of want to worry. Or a four-leaf clover on the car that, that shot at Floyd Mayweather's team. Well, I'll tell you what the big indicator for me is when anybody goes to Atlanta. You know, and I always think, you know, it has to do something with betting and shit like that. People dropping big bucks, you know, in Atlanta. Well, look at Vernon Forrest. Lived in Atlanta. He got killed. You know, somebody tried to rob him. He took off chasing him, and they killed him dead. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Atlanta's not a great, <laughs> you know, it, it's okay. it's a great city. There's good people, but, man, it can be rough, too. And uh, Oh, and before but, I forget, today was the anniversary of Big John Tate's death and re- remembering one of the you know, transitional heavyweights who could have been something great, but unfortunately his career was cut short by, um, I believe it was a car wreck, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it was cut short by a guy named Mike Weaver, too. 
Well, yeah. I mean, he was never the same. I mean, he he had some decent wins, um, but Mike Weaver put it on him, man. And that was a crazy fight. You know, Tate was winning on all three scorecards. (laughs) Just 20, what, 20, 30? I think there was 45 seconds left, you know, in the fight. The guy's cruising to victory. Mike Weaver says, oh, hell no. I'm getting that belt. It's going down, and he just you know those, those the are the fights. Those are the fights that are the biggest heartbreaks, where there's only seconds to go, and you have it won, and then you just get your clock cleaned. Remember when uh, Julio Cesar Chavez fought? Um, oh, who was it? Like Meldrick Taylor. Taylor, and there was only like two seconds left. And that was over. Richard Steele, Richard Steele made a huge mistake in that fight. Um, it just that that was just atrocious, atrocious. You know, those, but you know those what? are the worst heartaches. But it was ironic. Chavez Jr. Remember when he fought Sergio Martinez on pay per view? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, this is horrible. This is gonna be a mismatch," and it was for twelve rounds. And then the last minute. You know, Chavez bam, Jr. Bam, I mean, bam, hit the floor so many times. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, you know. And Martinez wasn't the same after that. No. He wasn't. No. You know, it's, you know, that's one thing about being a prize fighter. If you're a professional fighter, if you're on championship level or you're on any level, you've got to protect yourself at all times. You know, the ref tells everybody before the fight, you know, uh, be, before they get in the ring, while they're in the ring, you know, you got to do it. It's, a, it's one of the major rules in boxing. Uh, you, it's one of the Ten Commandments, you know, in boxing. You got to protect yourself at all times. No, I was a huge Martinez fan, huge Martinez fan, and I was like, because you know, at that point in time, you had Manny and Floyd, then you had Martinez, and I'm like, Martinez is a rather small middleweight. That that would have been a great match. Would have been Martinez and Floyd, or you know, Manny, you know, but Martinez unfortunately, it never happened. A stylistic nightmare because mm-hmm. of the styles, but I think it would probably, you know, kind of like Laura and, and Heard, you know, it, you think it's going to be a boring fight because, you know, um, just because of styles, you know, Martinez could make it boring if he wanted to, but I think it would end up exploding. And when it oh, did, yeah. it would just be a brutal war, so. I would have loved that, but unfortunately oh, yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah, and you know we'll never, we'll never know. Martinez has got his promoter hat on like Floyd Mayweather does. He's promoting fights overseas. You know, um, I wish him luck. I, I think he's a smart guy. He'll do well. Um, but he was a great fighter. I loved it. I really enjoyed watching him. And uh, you know, he brought it. Mm-hmm. Boxing Absolutely. invasion at boxing invasion on Twitter. Longtime listener, six to seven years, big fan of your radio show. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the support. Uh, we had. Some negativity, you know, you're going to have your Twitter guys that, you know, talk a lot of crap, but we love them too, but, you know, we really love you, you know, Boxing Invasion, guys like you, long-time listeners. Uh, We don't, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for guys like you. So thank you very much. Uh, You know, really appreciate the good words. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, another fight on the card, you know, we were talking about, somebody asked about it, you know, on the last show, Sergio Mora. Sergio Mora, back in the win column, you know, split decision win, eight rounds against Alfredo Angulo. Um, I was wrong on that one. I picked Angulo. Yeah, but (laughs) 
both guys are kind of you know at the end of their career right now. Moore has a little bit left in the tank, and Gulo has been through so many damn wars. I mean, I wish he would give it up. I mean, he's talked about how he thought he won the fight. I didn't see the fight. You know, I heard that it was it was not the greatest fight, um, but you know the right guy won from what I heard. I don't know. You know, but Angulo, he's a warrior. He's not going to give up. Um, I just, I think he's done. I just think he's done. Moore might have maybe one or two left in the tank. Um, you know, but congratulations. You know, he got a win. He did what he had to do. And uh, do I want to see It just blows my again? mind. It, it huh? blows my mind when I think of guys like Mora still fighting. And I'm like, hell, ain't this the guy who fought on the contender, contender. like over a decade ago? <laughs> you know? I'm like, man, you know, I can't believe some of these guys are still chugging I along. I think Ishe and him are like, I think they're the only ones left that are still fighting. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, Google it, but. <laughs> I mean, in the later seasons, you know, you had like Sakio, Bika, and, you know, people like that. And I mean, they're already retired, and they came long after them. And I'm like, God, I can't believe some of these people Bika's are still fighting. Still, uh, is he retired? I thought he was still fighting. I, I think Bika's retired. No, he might be. And uh, I think, uh, who else? Did Sam Solomon fought in the contender, didn't he? I believe so. He's still going, but he's he, all these guys are on their lap. I mean, they're they're at the very end, you know. But but I give uh, I give you know more credit. He's a good fighter. You know, he did what he had. He he has you know he did what he had to work with, and he actually you know he he, he got a belt. You know, he's a former champ. You know, he did what he had to do. I mean, he 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 really uh, gave it all. And he, uh, you know, he did well for himself. Because I never thought he was a great fighter, but he did what he had to do. And that Mosley fight, he gave Mosley, I mean, he, he come in there and did, he did a damn good job. You know, so. Uh, now, I gotta, now, I got to ask, Doth, did you see the little video clip of Mike Tyson being interviewed about, like, uh, Joshua and Wilder today? I did, and, man, he's punchy. Uh, I, I did not what, like wrestling. Well, the way way I looked at, it, I was like, man, Mike doesn't want to say anything either way, really. He was you like, can tell, he, you can, te- you can but- tell, you can tell he was not impressed really with either one of them, and was like, I don't even know what the fuck to say. <laughs> yeah, of course, he's not going to you know, be impressed with. You know, he might be impressed even if he was impressed with Water. He's not going to go say, Oh, Water's excellent, he's great. Well, this guy has been talking shit. Saying he would have knocked well, you out know, that, like a few, well, like a well, like a few seconds later, they're like, "Well, what do you think? You know, if you fought, you know, either one of them guys?" And he was like, "Oh, I can't say. You know, I'd have to be in there to fight them." You know, <laughs> you know. I, like, I, that, I just very classy, like, Mike. Very. He might have had a few drinks. I don't know. I just did not like you know the. I didn't like what I seen from him. I mean, he just kind of looked like he was distant. I mean, he he was not all there. I don't know. If it's being a little punchy, yeah, I don't think he is. I mean, other interviews that I've seen. Nah, the, the thing with Mike, you know, he's always been that way. Because you even remember in his prime, he'd be there at the press conferences, and they'd ask him questions, and he would act, it would like he was somewhere else. The lights were on, but nobody was home. Like yeah, he I, didn't want to be there at all. Time. Something you was, know, just so. to me, something wasn't right there. <laughs> so... But but, uh, but yeah, no, he was crazy. not uh, both guys. I mean, it seemed like he leaned a little bit more towards Joshua to me. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't impressed either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I could tell. 
And you know what? He has every right not to be. Every right not to be. Look at what he accomplished. I mean, these guys ain't ready yet to be talked, you know, in, in the same graces as Mike Tyson and you know, Larry Holmes and Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis. They're, they're not ready yet. You know, even I'll, t- I'll tell you what, speaking of, speaking of Larry Holmes, I think it was yesterday was the anniversary of him versus McCall. I'll tell you what, watching that fight after all these years, I'm like, holy shit, I, I actually think Larry won that son of a bitch in fact. You know, I got he did, and he got the win. You know, I mean, you know, and, and McCall was undefeated, and that's that's what really gets me. You got a lot of your Facebook guys, a lot of Twitter people, you know, a lot of you know armchair. You know, couch boxing fans that think they know everything about boxing, they say, oh, you know, Mike Tyson, you know, that win against Larry Holmes was bullshit. It was horrible. You know, Larry Holmes was shot. You know, he was old. Larry Holmes come back and beat Oliver McCall. Not only did he beat him, I thought he was pretty dominant. And beat, made Ray Mercer in his prime look ordinary. Oh, he, yeah, he beat Mercer, didn't he? He didn't beat McCall. McCall beat him. That's right. That's yeah. right. But it's still the same. Mercer's just as tough as McCall. It's not. I mean, McCall had a hell of a right hand. Mercer was just a bad dude. You know, look at the fight that he gave uh, Lennox Lewis. Look at the fight. You know, look at what he did to Tommy Morrison. You know, and, and you know, Larry Holmes comes out and, and schools this dude, and he gives you know McCall. You know, he gives everybody that's in the ring with after Mike Tyson a, a tough, mm-hmm. tough fight. And but everybody still says they never give Mike Tyson credit for blowing him out of the water. You know, oh he was he was gone for a couple of years. He was a champion. Champions like him at that well, time you know, stay in the gym. Well, I'll tell you what, with Larry, and I always crack up when I hear the story. You know, he was like Don King came to the house. You know, I want you to fight Mike Tyson. Oh, I ain't doing that. And he's like, well, I'll give you three million dollars. And he's like, where's Mike Tyson? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But you know what, though, so, yeah. even the thing is, I think Mike Tyson would have had his number, you know, pretty much any time because of the aggressiveness, because of the, you know, just the aura of Mike Tyson. You know, he froze up. You know, look at what he did to Michael Spinks. Michael Spinks was, he was scared shitless when he was walking. I, I, I love Michael Spinks, but Michael Spinks, the heavyweight, has got to be the biggest illusion ever created in boxing. Because that was a guy who got in there at the right time, at the right moment against the right old man, you know, a disinterested champion, you know, and he avoided all the top guys, you know, and cashed himself out against uh, the man who would have made the most money. Um, But Michael Spinks, the light heavyweight. Oh, yeah, you you want to talk that. about the, one of the most phenomenal fighters I've ever seen in my life. That that was it. Dwight Muhammad Kwai, you know, I mean, just Eddie Davis. I mean, schooling, you know, tough, tough dudes. You know, Celestine no, was just a tough brawler. I mean, you know, he, he was dominant. You know, guys like Sutherland, you know, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. I mean, Marvin Johnson, the guy had just tremendous wins. He had everything. He had you know, everything yeah, I mean, he, he was he was the complete, you know, he was the very complete fighter. You know, one of the, the, the only fighters. guy. There, there's very few guys I can say who was better than Michael Spinks at 175. Gene Tunney, you know, Gene Tunney and Ezra Charles, maybe, you know, were ahead of him. Very few think, people were ahead I, of. Um, I gotta him. pick Roy. I think Roy was more talented. 
I think he just he was more physical. He just more of a specimen, just more athletic. Well, the thing with me with Roy was the moment the speed shaved off. Yeah, but I knew that that was when he got exposed and started looking very vulnerable. But, but so that's I always I wondered. So I always wondered, you know, with Roy, was it really the speed or was it really his skills? You know, so he's one Look of the big Ray conundrums Leonard. to me. Bray Leonard was the same kind of thing. You know, the speed diminishes a little bit against a guy like Terry Norris, who's fast as all get out and who's powerful and who's a very good counterpuncher, and he's done. And that's, you know, and there was an activity there too, but Terry Norris was just way too much for, you know, for Leonard that, at that point. Leonard early on, I think, would have beat Norris. And oh, he had yeah. a lot of wars and a lot of tough fighters, you know, that he fought before that. But you diminish a little bit, and the guys that miss eventually end up connecting. And that's exactly that, that's what happened. Why I, that's why I admired a guy like Ali, in a way. Ali, in the initial incarnation, was so fast, he could get away with all the mistakes in the world. But the moment he lost the speed and everything, he had to adapt to that and change his whole style up. And he managed right. to be successful with a different style completely. Um, and that's what I admire most was, about Ali. Because he was a mental fighter and a physical fighter. You know, look at what he did mm-hmm. against George Foreman. I mean, that was that was some of the most mental war. You know, I mean, that, that was just insane. You know, the, you know the, how he got into George Foreman's head. You know, how he played with him, you know, on the ropes. He set him up the whole time. You know, George is thinking, oh, he's mm-hmm. done. I got him where I want him. And then all of a sudden he turns around and, boom, knocks him out. You know, only time ever a guy like George Foreman has been knocked out. And, uh, you know, he totally just – he controlled, you know, the ring. He controlled everything. He was the boss, but he was on the ropes the whole fight. Oh, except yeah. Except for the end. And he took George Foreman's soul. And that oh, was yeah. And oh, yeah. it's just it, – it's insane. I mean, it's, it's like uh, – you know, you just don't walk in the ring and just get in there and just, you know, come up with a plan while you're fighting. This guy has planned this stuff. He knew what he was going to do. You know, it's like going to war. You know, it's like, um, you know, General MacArthur. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, uh, Patton. It's like all these guys. They have their war room, and they have everything, you know, out. Just, we're going to hit here. We're going to hit there. You know, they're going to they're gonna come around this way. You know, I mean, that's how they plan it. That's what it seems like how Muhammad Ali, he was so smart. You know, he was like a commander in the ring, and he oh, yeah. had the perfect plan against George Foreman. Oh, yeah. You know, reviewing that fight so many times, you know, and people who don't know boxing or can't understand it, they're like, oh, man, all he's getting decimated. And I'm like, no, watch it closely. Nine out of ten of them shots are missing every time George is throwing them, and he's just being a stationary object against the ropes. I said it was unbelievable. Well, listen, I'm going to try to get a guest on, and maybe a surprise guest. We're going to see. I'm going to work some magic. Uh, talk about, you know, if you want to talk about Ali, you want to talk about, you know, the heavyweights, you know, back in the 70s, 60s, you know, the, the very smart fighters in the ring, how, you know, some of the smartest guys, how they, you know, pretty much accomplished things like Muhammad Lake accomplished against George Foreman, you know, basically being, you know, the underdog, but being the smartest guy in the ring that I am. Basically, fights that smarts beat physicality. Go ahead, Rupert. I'll be right back. Well, I think one of the quintessential men of um, smarts overcoming all physicalities really, I think, boils down to somebody like Archie Moore. 
if you ever look at Archie Moore's record, he I think he had 186 wins, and 86 of those wins were against guys who were heavyweights. And him being, you know, 40-plus years old when he fought for the heavyweight title the first time and then being uh, nearly 45 when he fought the second time, maybe even 46 years old because nobody exactly knows how Archie was, how he was able to knock out 130-plus men, you know, was all about his precision, his timing, and setting up traps in that ring, and it was absolutely unbelievable. And what's even more unbelievable is the fact he was frozen out from the title for 14 years, you know. And finally, when he gets it, he was champion, you know, for such a long period of time. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, You can argue that he fought um, against heavyweights in a comparatively weak era, but the fact you had age working against him, you know, and everything else, uh, that was absolutely uh, incredible. But as far as other topics going on while Doss is away, trying to get a guest or trying to see where Andre Rozier is, whatever it may be, um, WrestleMania, um, Frank Stea put out a review of that earlier on in the day on the YouTube channel, and I shared that out to the Twitter I wonder what everybody's thoughts on that. I know myself watching what little bits and pieces of it, because I was only interested in, like, Ronda Rousey's debut, as well as um, John Cena versus The Undertaker. Other than that, I wasn't really interested. But uh, I thought uh, Ronda did very well uh, in her debut, even though some moments were awkward, but I think that's primarily because I think Ronda's, like, 5'3", or 5'4", and she was wrestling with, like, Stephanie McMahon, who's, like, 5'10", and, like, Triple H, who's 6'4". And all the shit she does will make her look awkward doing it. You know, go against people who are that big. But, uh, nonetheless, very good performance overall. Um, as far as Cena and The Undertaker, I thought it was appropriate. Because from what I understand, John Cena's leaving the WWE to, like, host a Nickelodeon show. Plus him doing movies, um... Uh, I know coming up shortly is the movie Cock Blockers that he sent. So you could tell he's getting tired of doing the wrestling bit, and he's going to start doing like what The Rock and other people do, appearing maybe once a year. So it makes sense. Um, I think the biggest curveball at WrestleMania, though, was Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Virtually everybody thought that Roman Reigns was going to win at WrestleMania because everybody thought Lesnar was going to go to the UFC. But then we find out right after WrestleMania that Lesnar already re-signed with the WWE and is also signed with the UFC as well. So he's going to try to juggle the two. And, you know, some people are happy about it. Some people ain't, you know, um, because people kind of feel screwed over. Like their uh, mentality, you know, was fucked over a bit by uh, Vince McMahon. But then again, that's the genius a bit of wrestling to where you should expect the unexpected. Don't get too um, caught up in the, what's the word for it? Um, You don't want to get too complacent, you know, with wrestling, you know, because if you think you've got to figure it out, they'll fuck you and they'll say, ah, well, you're a mark. You think you know everything, but you really don't. 
Um, also, I want everybody to follow the Alex Daly, D A L E Y, on Twitter. I believe he is the grandson of Nipper Pat Daly. Um, and he wrote a book about Pat Daly. For those who don't know Pat Daly, Pat Daly is one of them legendary names in boxing where he turned pro at the age of nine. And no, I did not stutter. You did not misunderstand me. He turned pro at the age of nine. And by the age of 12 and 13, he was already in training camps with world-level contenders and champions like Mickey Walker. And by the time he was 15, was going for the world title and retired at the age of 17. So, again, follow the Alex Daly, D-A-L-E-Y, on Twitter and pick up that book about Nipper Pat Daly. You will absolutely be blown away by that man's life story. And I believe Michael Doss is back. <laughs> I am, and I, I was just – no, I've been back. I'm listening to the – you know, to everything you were saying about Nipper Pat Daly. Uh, man, just get that book. I'm I'm about to get on now, and I'm going to order it. It's just, you know, it's a phenomenal story. Speaking of phenomenal stories, you know, Mr. Brooklyn himself, phenomenal story as a trainer, you know, training many, many champions right now. I guarantee you in the running for trainer of the year. If he's not this year, these people need to be, oh, I'm sorry, they need to be shot. Andre Rozier, what's going on, buddy? Welcome back. What? Happening, Rufus. What's happening, Captain? Oh man! <laughs> Back to the fire pit, baby. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to get on uh, earlier, but uh, as you do know, the schedule is always hectic. Uh, I'm running a little deep with Saddam in training, and um, we got we got finished up at about ten, ten, ten or so. And I said, look, I got to get out of here, man. I got to so get into the fire pit. Totally understand, man. We totally understand. You got so much going on. There's some news brewing, though, and I know you know what I'm going to ask you. What the hell is going on? Triple G, Derenchenko, is is there something brewing? Come on, let the fans know. No one else is letting on. Let, no one else is saying nothing. Well, I mean, there was some, there was some talk, um, and, you know, I'll be the first to let you know this one. The first, Captain. But uh, I still haven't heard anything yet. Um I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't know. I, there was rumblings and whispers and this, that, and the other thing, but I don't know. I haven't heard the, the word yet, and um, I'm waiting for it. Um, I think it's a huge mistake on Triple G's part, but we're going to take what we can get. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, the thing is, he is a mandatory, uh, you know, in this stage, you know, being next month. I mean, every day that goes by, you know, is a day that Golovkin is not going to you know, be able to train for a certain style unless he already knows who he's going to fight. Um, you know, it's not good. It's not good for him. You know, it's the ninth already, less than a month, um, you know, and it's also not good for his opponent. You know, be fair. Let the guy at least have a month to train. Exactly. It's not good. I see. I already made my sentiments clear about it. Um, when we're not like we're not like a cabbage patch kid doll. We we don't come out of out of the closet just because. That's a fight that uh, he's he's a mandatory. 
Um, you just don't throw it together in in three weeks and think that, oh, okay, this is good and so on and so forth. No, you don't do it. No. And, and I mean, for, go ahead. for, go everyone, ahead, who, for everyone who is stating, okay, um, uh, Triple G will fight anybody, I, I'm saying you just don't do it because if I was in Triple G's corner, I'd be like, listen, I was not preparing for this young man. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to be coming at me. Uh, I have my mind set on this. I'm already messed up because of the whole scandal that's going on as it is. Uh, I think I'm just going to leave it alone. But they keep stating, uh, we're going to make something happen. Tom Loeffler, Abel Sanchez. So if it is, we're going to go for the gusto and do what we have to do. I don't like the parameters of it, but... Um, it's almost like one of those old-fashioned club fights. Uh, something fell out, and you try to pluck anything to put it together. This is yeah. a different level. But yeah, this is on the, like the highest stage in boxing, running. You're talking about pound for pound level, you know. Exactly. I mean, and you you just don't do it. I, I just I really don't understand. It, it boggles my mind. Well, what I'm hearing now is they're thinking about moving the fight from Vegas to the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Um, that already tells you right there that they're they're kind of going down. They might be going down in class now of opponent. You know, we don't know. But to me, I kind of think Spike O'Sullivan might be out of the picture if they're going to try to match a Russian and an Irishman in California. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm thinking I mean, Mungia might still be in the mix. He is undefeated. You know, he is a you know a smaller guy. You know, uh, one division lighter. Um, I still think that's a possibility. HBO apparently turned that fight down before, um, but if they're going down in venue, I don't know. It's, it's, and Rufus said that. Uh, I don't know. Where did you read that, Rufus? That uh, HBO. Uh, I saw it over the Twitter feed, and I also seen it on Facebook where they said it switched over to uh, HBO instead of pay per view for Spike O'Sullivan. Okay. Well, but, I mean that. That actually, I mean, for all intents and purposes, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to try to uh, secure your HBO uh, date, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, but you know, the that, venue I mean, is what bothers me. You know, the venue change, and I, I don't know. Oh yeah, now now, now you're going from you're going from a major attraction to. Uh, a little bit bigger than a club show. <laughs> I mean, Subhub, Subhub is pretty big, but it, it, it's definitely a, a, a trickle-down effect taking place right now. Let me ask you this, Coach. Do you think now, and Rufus, definitely, do you think now that we'll ever see Canelo in Triple G2? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't think will. so. You know, I think we will, Mike. The reason why I say that is because uh, cash rules all things uh, dollar-dollar bill, y'all. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? This is not the UFC. You know, this is a real, you know, sport. Well, I ain't saying the UFC is not, but it's an organization, and boxing is a lot different, you know, when it comes to that. There's a lot of mega fights that should have been made that didn't, you know, get made. Uh, it's not, you know, Canelo has a lot of clout in boxing, 
But, you know, it's not like Conor McGregor. You know, Conor McGregor throws a damn dolly through a bus, hurts, you know, many people, destroys, a, pretty much destroys a damn pay-per-view card, and, you know, probably will get a slap on the wrist. You know, and, and hasn't even been suspended by the UFC. You know, Canelo, you know, fails a drug test. You know, i got to commend the commission for that. I mean, you know, even though it, they're saying it's meat, it's a possibility. I'm not saying that Canelo did anything dirty. I'm not saying, you know, he didn't eat bad meat. We don't know. But the commission did what they had to do. And, uh, right. you know, I think it's a possibility. I think that, you know, Golovkin, you know, he, he, he knows he won that fight. He really thinks he did. I don't know if he, he – the money's you know, he, the money's definitely important, Andre and Rufus. But – you know, he was shook, man. He was shook. When he found out that Canelo tested dirty, he was shook. It, it got into his head. And I don't know if – I think that he might just not fight him just not to give Canelo any more money because he thinks that he really deeply thinks that Canelo's a dirty fighter. Nah, 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 nah. Listen, he's a promoter. There's other people out there, though, Andre. Yeah. That's true, but, Captain, when them guys become promoters, it, the rules change. I'm telling you, it's a cutthroat business, and and the very few people, if at all, any of them, think in the ways of discretion and morality. They don't give a crap. It's all about the money for them. I'm telling you. Even with the fighter themselves, Andre, with Golovkin, you know, being a, you know, never testing positive, you know, being a clean athlete. You know, going up and finding out this guy tested dirty, even if it's bad meat, it don't matter. It still was a bad test. You know, it seemed like he right. was, you know, he. I think to him, to be honest with you, there's a lot of pride involved. And to be honest, I don't think he thinks the Canelo deserves a big payday. I, 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 listen, I don't, I think Canelo, first and foremost, uh, he blew it. He really blew it. Um uh, with all the parameters involved, he knows that he shouldn't have been uh, ingesting anything that could have caused him to have any negative reaction. He knows better. The team knows better. You know you're in Mexico and, and there were two other Who did that? Who came up with the same situation. You know better. Stop that. Andre, is that you? There's a cow somewhere, man. Do you hear that? What? Did you hear that? Uh, okay, yeah. Was that you, Rufus? <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. You in the cow pasture? Come on, man. That's not respectful to Canelo. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Rufus, but, what was, but, what, hey, Rufus, what was that like Sandman at the Apollo? <laughs> <laughs> You gotta stop talking about the little cheetah. <laughs> oh shit! All right, so uh, let's let's break it down. You know, we're talking about everything else. You know, let's let's break it down this weekend. Holy crap, Andre, my man, I love you, you family. I love Rufus, y'all, y'all, my family, definitely. But y'all were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, wrong. if I had to be, if I had to be wrong, I was. Happy to be wrong with no better person than my man, Rupert Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, you know, Jared Hurd, I think right now, 
you know, we broke the show, you know, definitely the biggest fight this weekend. Uh, we broke the show with talking about Jared Hurd, you know, Airstein, Laura. Uh, but I'm, we're going to break it down again. You know, you're on. I want to get your insight on this, but I want to tell you what I think. Um, Jared Hurd is a monster. My God. You know, this guy, he's like Homer Simpson. You can hit him with everything, and you're going to wear yourself out beating him up. You know, that's, this guy doesn't care. He takes punches. And he, but when it's you, know, he'll wait his turn. He'll take what you have to offer, and then he gives his. And usually, you can't handle his because he does it for twelve straight rounds. You know, Laura you know, was was in the judges' eyes was one in the fight at the end. Um, you know, the knockdown is what really won it for Hurd. I thought Hurd was up a couple points. It was a good back and forth fight, uh, but Hurd was the boss. Hurd was you know controlling the, the you know the action. He was pushing the fight. You know, they were talking about Laura, you know, know, fighting toe-to-toe and, you know, showing balls and heart. He did, but he was forced to. You know, if he wasn't forced to fight that way, he wouldn't fight that way. He had, you know, it was Jared Hurd that made Laura look good, you know, by making him fighting toe-to-toe. You know, it wasn't Laura's decision to fight toe-to-toe, trust me. It was a forced decision. And, uh, go ahead, Jim. He was forced to, to enact a game plan that is nowhere near anything in his repertoire. Exactly. It, you know, Trout did the same thing. You know, Trout fought toe-to-toe with the guy. You know, he tried to box, but he was more offensive than usual. But that's also what got him knocked out because he knew that he had to be offensive against a guy like Hurd. And I'm going to tell you, Hurd is not a stupid fighter. People think, and I, I've said it before, the guy fights like a caveman in the rain. He does. Like, I uh, remember back in – you know, uh, eight, about eight, six, eight years ago, Lebrado Andrade. You guys uh-huh. remember him? You know, he oh, looked yeah. like a damn caveman. You know, he had the head. I mean, this dude was <laughs> tougher, you know, tough as hell. And he would take oh, everything yeah. that you had to give him, and he would keep on coming. And that's how Hurd fights. You know, um, I think Hurd, like I said, he's probably one of the biggest junior middleweights I've seen. Um, you know, Showtime weighed him at 163, about almost the same. I think Laura was actually a half pound bigger, you know, on fight night. But there was no way the scale was broke or there was something going on because there was no way in hell, you know, at, you know, 11 p.m., you know, Eastern time, in that or whatever time, Pacific time, he was in Vegas. That night when they were in the ring, there was no way in hell that Jared Hur was 163 pounds. None. No way. Not, not one. He looked. He looked like he was three sizes tall, bigger. He was two feet taller. Uh, he just looked like a, a light heavyweight in with a welterweight. Now, you know, Laura, like I said, he did what he had to do early. I mean, he, I, and I figured it was going to be like that. He was going to start fast. You know, Hurd is a notorious starter. He was a slow starter, first two, three rounds. You know, he started coming on. You know, the power started to show. And Laura had to fight toe to toe, and I was really impressed. I mean, I would never—I was never a big fan of Aristotle and Laura, but he showed me a lot of heart, even though it was forced. But he, you know, if it's forced and you can't handle it, you know, you can go down or you'll get knocked out. You know, but he—he—he he, he, he held up, and he still—he had success. You know, in spurts. You know, he did good. Um, I still thought that her was winning at the end, but her never been twelve rounds. You know, goes for the knockout. I mean, he was a man possessed in that twelfth round, and he knocked his man down. 
if that fight was 13 rounds, like I told Rufus, you know, I think Laura would have been knocked out for the first time. Um, it really reminded me of Anthony Joshua when Anthony Joshua fought Vladimir Klitschko. This dude has never been past seven rounds, you know, fighting, you know, a 10-year reigning champion, you know, that just got dethroned by Tyson Fury. I got to throw that in there. But he was, you know, probably in the best shape he's been in a long time. You know, it was his swan song. He was going to win. He was so possessed to win that fight. I'm talking about Vladimir Klitschko. But Anthony Joshua goes 11 rounds, never been even close, you know, going only seven in his whole career, and knocks his man out. And it reminded me a lot like that. You know, uh, Jared Hurd thought he was winning the fight. You know, he did. He said that, you know, he, you know, but it's his mentality to close strong anyway. He thought he was winning, but he did not lay off the gas. And if he would have, he would have a one next to his damn record right now. That's right. That's the heart of a champion. And I'm going to tell you what, you know, I think that he will be, he will be hanging around the top of his division for a while. Um, you know, who do you guys think at 154, you know, should fight Jared Hurd. Well, who do you want to see against Jared Hurd next? Well, naturally, Charlo, um, that's that's a, a, a unifier, and um, they they were talking smack to each other. Um, I'd like to see that one. Yeah, there's been oh, a yeah. video floating around. Did you see that? I, I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. No, no I, I, well, I've I heard that he was really uh, Charlo's mouthing off and saying, uh, you, "You think that uh, that uh, I'm as little as Laura?" So he says, "I'm a bigger man, and I'm gonna break you and everything else." Well, Rufus, what do you think? Who do you want to see at 154 right now fighting? You know, the new champion, the new king of the division, Jared Hurd. That is such a hard question uh, because you and me kind of like went over that earlier. Because um, I know in the case of Laura, we said maybe that Laura should go up to 160. Um, but as far as heard, pick them, you know, just really pick them. Well, what I was saying before. About Jared Hurd, you know, I, you didn't catch this, you know, it was before you got on, Andre, but what I was saying, you know, there's a month left, you know, for a fight. It's not going to be enough time for a guy like Jared Hurd that just fought such a good fighter, you know, just a couple of days ago. But I would love to see Jared Hurd fight Triple G. Oh, my God. You've got two guys that don't know how to fight backwards. You know, and they're going to, you know, they're going to come at each other like two, you know, locomotives hitting each other. Uh, it's going to be well, nasty. You know, you know I, I, honestly, though, I have to say this, and I, I really appreciate everything that that Heard uh, has shown us and given us. I'm a, I'm a new fan of his from his performance, but honestly, I, against too the soon. monster that Triple G is, listen, he gets hit too much, and Triple G punches entirely too hard. There's going to be a difference. There is going to be a major difference. Whereas he can accept those shots from a junior middleweight, when a guy's punching like a, a light heavyweight, he's going to turn a noodle. Uh, you know, and that's a possibility, but here's what I think. You know, Jared Hurd, like I said before, is one of the biggest 154-pounders I've ever seen. I mean, he's one of the biggest fighters, period, at you know, pound for pound that I've seen. 
You know, I was talking about Monzone and guys like that. They were huge fighters back in the day. You know, on fight night, and even like you know, like Danny. Danny gets big. You know, on fight night. We all know that, Andre. But right. you know, that's that's the name of the game. You know, if you if you right. have it, use it. But I think that Herd can even be bigger than Danny. You know, uh, pound for pound. I mean, this guy is like twenty, thirty pounds. You know, uh, bigger than his opponent on fight night. It's, it's insane. Could you imagine this kid at one sixty? I think he'd be bigger than Triple G. He might be. He might be bigger. He might be bigger. But, but once again, let me tell you the the, the do's and the don'ts about uh, about Herd. Herd is a, a a working piece of machinery. He's gonna fight, and he's gonna continue to fight. But my problem is that he absorbed punishment well at fifty four. I fought Triple G twice. Triple G can punch. And you can't just stand there and accept all of those punches. No. You can't. They they they, they neutralize you. They they nullify you. They they take the stamina out of you. And, oh, I'm not and saying her like wins. Uh, let me clarify that, Andre. Her I don't think her wins the fight. It's just like I was mentioning to Rufus early on. You know, remember back in the day, back you know, in, in the late nineties, you know, uh, Max Kellerman was saying on ESPN, you know, that all oh, he knew that you know uh, that, that make uh, Arturo Gotti, Mickey Ward, make that fight happen. You know, I know it's going to be huge. Everybody was saying that. You know, not not just Max. You know, we if you're a fight fan and you're a diehard guy, you knew that you know Mickey Ward and Arturo Gotti would just make beautiful damn music together. It would be just you know beautiful for a fight fan. It's a fight fan's yeah. dream. And I think Styles, you know, the style of Triple G and the style of her later on, and I, it, it won't happen. I know it won't because of promotional reasons, network reasons. You know, Hurd's not going to 160. You know, he's going to try to dominate 154. Um, and it's going to take time. But I, I just right. feel like from that standpoint, knowing the fight game, knowing the styles, you know, I think if you put these two guys together, you're just going to get a war. But then again, you you know, you kind of thought that with Lemieux and Triple G, and Triple G's not a stupid fighter. You know, if he feels the power, you know, he starts jabbing. He starts, you know, countering. He starts moving. Um, and then he breaks you down. And I think, you know, with Herb, you know, being so big at 160, he, he's going to be a monster at 160 if, if he ever moves up. Um, I think that Triple G would respect his power, and I feel that also Herb would definitely respect his power. And I feel that it would be a, a, a jabbing match, and he would just bust Herd up with the jab, and then he would finish in probably between eight and ten rounds. Yeah, I'm not saying Herd would win. Triple G has this. Unless Triple G turns old, and it's coming. You know, he's only, you know, just like when Roy Jones was 35 years old. You know, I remember right. he had a big birthday bash, and you know, Ring Magazine was covering it. And I mean, you know, I think HBO even covered it. You know, and, and everybody was saying, or everybody that knew the game was saying, you know, enjoy it while it lasts, because it ain't gonna That's last right. much longer. You know, Roy Jones is an athletic fighter. You know, he's he's physicality. He's just a very physical guy, one of the most physical fighters in the game, you know, ever in my opinion. And uh, one slip up, and it's gonna be over for him. And, you know, he's not going to last in his 40s, 50s, at the top, top level. And uh, right. you just got to enjoy it while you can. And I feel the same way about Triple G. You know, uh, you're going to wish he was around when he's gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even though he has a lot of haters, 
you know, you're going to miss him definitely when he's gone. And I feel the same, you know, about Triple G. We, uh, I felt the same about Roy Jones, you know, Sugar Ray Linder, all these guys. You know, um, but the thing with Golovkin is, you know, he has that power. You know, he has that foundation, you know, like Costa Zoo had back in the heyday, you know, at 147. Uh, he has that kind of, you know, that body structure about him. You know, he can. he's not just a physical guy. He's a smart fighter, too. So he might last right. a little bit longer than guys like Roy and all that. But he's he's definitely, you know, he's starting, he's in the twilight of his career. And he don't oh, need to make any stupid decisions. I would agree with you 100% with that. Uh, he, he, his tangibles, though, are still so phenomenal. Uh, he, he can win a fight with a jab if he chooses to. He can knock you out with a jab, Andre. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I would love, there's plenty of matches I would love to see. And, um, and you know, you say, okay, this young man performed well. Um, but when you start talking about, okay, I, I think I need to, I want a shot at, at, the, at the king of the, the middleweights, um, once again, like you stated, if he doesn't get old overnight, that's one rough-ass whipping you got to deal with. <laughs> I think one fighter that can make him look old overnight is going to be Billy Joe Saunders. Right. right. I mean, I hate to say it because, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Triple G. I'm also a big fan of Billy Joe Saunders. But it's just like me and Rufus were talking, you know, about, you know, th- that style, you know, that, that Tyson Fury style, even though that Huey Fury style, even though a lot of people – you know, doesn't think that Huey's on the same level as Tyson. It doesn't matter. You know, he still went, you know, rounds with, with a guy that gave Joshua some problems, you know, in Parker. Parker was a real champion, you know, and he gave him a pretty decent fight. You know, some people thought he even won that fight. I didn't, but, you know, he still showed that he could belong in the ring with a guy like Parker. Um, and you got Billy Joe Saunders, Nathan Gorman, a lot of these, you know, these gypsy-type guys, but they have that real herky-jerky style, that boxing style that can just throw you off your rhythm. And when you're, yeah. you know, that's their whole intention. They throw you off, that makes them stronger, and, you know, they just keep on doing it. And you never can get going, you know, and by the time you look, it's the 12th round, and there's, you know, a minute left, and you don't lost the fight. Exactly. It's like a gypsy trance they put you in for 12 rounds, for 45 minutes. And I think that Triple G would be so frustrated, you know, by you know, by Bill Joe Saunders, kind of like Lemieux was, that he never could really get it going. But the thing with Triple G that Lemieux didn't have was that piston jab that can open up a lot, and he could counter that through that jab. He can open up, you know, he could he could set off. Billy Joe Saunders with the jab and have him kind of, you know, confused too. That's the kind of jab that Triple G has. It's a thing. It's a thing of beauty. It's a thing of beauty. And, and like I said, I've seen it at work and I'm like, until you actually are up close and personal with it, you can say whatever you want, but it's for real. It's a real deal. At 160, who do you think besides? I know you. You know you think Billy Joe Saunders like me. You know if anybody's going to beat Triple G, you know, it could be Billy Joe. I'm not saying it would happen, but he. I mean that's the one that kind of worries me. Who else at 160 you think has a chance? You know, besides Canelo, which I, I really don't think will happen. 
anymore, but it could. But who else do you think at 160 has a chance, or even at 154, to beat Triple G right now? Well, nobody at 54. Nobody at 54. Nobody well, at 54. you know, it was kind of like you earlier talking about, you know, Jarrett Hurd and everything. Um, it's a fight I would love to see, but I don't think it's a fight that's ever going to happen. Um, I also think it's a fight, you know, that I don't think he's ever going to fight Canelo either. Um because I think timing is everything. We already seen Triple G starting to slow down when he fought Danny. You know, and here you have this, you know, um, period of time, too, where he hasn't been fighting, you know. Um, everybody knows he beat Canelo, but he got robbed, essentially. Uh, he's 36 years old. How long do you think he's going to really go on? I think he's going to fight, you know, um, Spike O'Sullivan, even though it's not the fight anybody wants. But he's going to fight Billy Joe Saunders in September. And I think uh, win, lose, or draw, that's going to be the last fight Triple G does, in my opinion. Wow. 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 I gotta put, I've got to put that one in the gospel book now. <laughs> I, I, I think I it's going to this. be. I think it's going to be the last thing because that's the last undefeated champion that there really is. Because who else really is out there? Right. Right. To me, I think Billy Joe Saunders. I think Canelo was, you know, Golovkin's Mike Tyson moment, like like Lennox Lewis had. You know, Lennox Lewis, you know, had, he climbed the mountaintop. He beat the guy for years that you know that, that's been built up. You know, he finally won, and then he goes and, and fights. You know, Vitality. Uh, I'll, just, I got a better. I got a better analogy. It was like a Vander Holyfield when he beat Mike Tyson. But then Evander Holyfield got beat by Michael Moore, a fast-moving, light-hitting guy, kind of awkward, and it'll be just like Billy Joe Saunders. Well, i got to disagree with you on that, and the reason I do, Rufus, is because, you know, every fighter has, you know, excuses, you know, most of the time. You know, you'll never see a fighter say, oh, well, you know, he was just better. You know, it don't have – maybe – 99% of the time you're going to have guys that have excuses. But Evander Holyfield – you know, he had a real true excuse. I mean, the guy had heart issues. You know, he ends up having surgery. You know, he had a lot of stuff going on health-wise, you know, before he fought Michael Moore. And I was hearing before, you know, from inside people that they were trying to get him to pull out of that fight because they knew about the health issues, and he just did not do it. He wanted to get the payday. You know, he wanted to defend his title against Moore, and he did, and he lost it. But then he fights him again. It was like night and day. I mean, you know, if you look at both fights, you know, Evander Holyfield, it wasn't that Michael Moore declined, even though he got beat by Foreman afterwards. It was just how good Evander was. Evander dominated Michael Moore, dropped him, what, four or five times? Just It was a destruction. And I feel really that Evander Holyfield had a legit excuse. I think that it really did not show that Michael Moore was a better fighter in that first fight. I think Evander Holyfield really was sick and very come very, very unprepared in that fight. And that's why I mentioned Lennox Lewis, 
because Lennox Lewis, you know, I mean, look how built up this fight was for years. You know, since they were in amateurs and since Lennox won gold in the Olympics, you know, everybody was clamoring for Tyson and for Lennox Lewis to fight. You know, it finally happened so many years later. You know, uh, he gets a knockout victory. You know, you could just see after he beat Mike Tyson that he 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 accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. I mean, he climbed the mountaintop. He is the king. And I think the hunger just left him right after that fight. And even though he had a tough opponent from him, Vitaly, I still felt that Lennox Lewis would have done a lot better, you know, early in his career, earlier in his career against Vitaly and Vladimir. And I felt that if he wouldn't have knocked out Mike Tyson, it would have been a much different fight against Vitaly, and he wouldn't have looked so bad. And he knew that, and that's why he retired. And he, in my opinion, he thought that I think he thought that Vitaly, you know, would definitely beat him if they fought again. Wow. You know, it's a mental thing. You know, different well, fighters. You know, I, you know, are different I agree. Ways. I agree with you in a lot of respects, but you know, like I said, um, men with Triple G style, they don't really last that long. I'm surprised, really, he didn't burn up before now. In a lot of ways, but um, I think it's clear. Timing's everything, and quite frankly. He's, he don't got much time left, let's be honest. Guys who are middleweights don't fight till they're like 40 and all that shit, unless you're like Bernard Hopkins, the rare exception. Well, Triple G's career, or the way it seems like it's playing out, his, the, you know, the style, you know, the way that, you know, he's going to deteriorate, in my opinion, is going to be like Kostasuk. You know, Kostazu had a mess up early in his career against Vince Phillips. You know, but Vince Phillips was a very underrated fighter, and Kostazu partied his ass off. You know, right up, you know, the day before the fight, you know, he's getting drunk with, uh, I think, uh, Nikolai Valuev. I think he was over there before that fight. You know, a lot of the Russians were over there. Uh, a lot of champions were, you know, were hanging out with Kostazu. He got hammered drunk. You know, I think the night before the fight, you know, he, he didn't get into like six, seven o'clock in the morning. You know, he was not, you know, ready for that fight. You know, he was, you know, totally drunk, you know, wasted. He was probably still drunk when he walked into the ring against Vince Phillips, you know, and he got knocked out. You know, he came back. You know, he dominated 147, and I wish he would have ended up fighting, you know, Phillips again. I I never found out why that fight didn't really happen. It should have happened. Um, But he dominated until he met Ricky Hatton, you know, a hungrier guy in his hometown, you know, it was rumored that Ricky Hatton was backstage watching fights at Kostasu right before he walked out to fight Kostasu. You know, he was so ready for that fight. You know, he knew he was going to win. It was do or die for him. And, you know, he was hungry, and you know, hunger prevailed that night. And But I also feel that Kostasu got old that night in Manchester. And I feel the same thing can happen you know, very, very soon with, with uh, Gennady Golovkin. No, I I agree with you. He, and I think Billy Joe Saunders is the guy to do it. Um, now going back to your initial question, who could who could beat him? Um, if Danny Jacobs uh, rematched him, I believe he could beat him. He'll never but, get, you know he'll, he'll never give him a but, but he'll never get that. He'll never get that because and you know it's already this you know it's just been there done that situation. And they already know how tough of a fight that is, and Billy Joe Saunders is where the money's at. I love Yonder, so, but you know, deep down, <laughs> even though you don't want to admit it, that that fight is never going to happen. And I just, you know, it's eating at you, 
but you know that. Well, I mean, I would, I would love to have Danny get the chance to revenge that loss, uh, but I have to agree with Rufus. The, the atmosphere is is uh, is not conducive for Danny and Triple G to fight again unless it was mandated absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of other situations that could take place. And Danny is not an easy fight for Triple G, especially since in his heart of all hearts, he believes he won the, the first fight. So now he has something to prove in the second fight. And and once again, uh, time walks by, and um, Danny's getting um, to the point where he's at that peak place, where he's at his best point that he could possibly be, and Triple G is coming down. Now, we know I, that's, I, a, that's a recipe for for a big, gigantic uh, failure. And speaking of big, gigantic, Danny is big and gigantic as a fighter in the <laughs> ring on a fight night. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think Danny could hold on long enough at 160, you know, to, uh, you know, to wait on Triple G. Right. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, because he, it, 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 he's going to – He's going to eventually be a full-fledged super middleweight. Well, you, uh, you were already talking about him fighting Caleb Truex, and I'm going to be honest with you. You know, the Caleb Truex that we saw Saturday night wouldn't have had a snowball's chance in hell against Danny. You know, I was I was really disappointed in Caleb Truex because he, he didn't even look as good as he did, you know, in England, you know, the night that he won the title. And it wasn't it wasn't really, you know, how good the Gale looked. It was just how different, you know, Caleb Truex fought, you know, Saturday night. I think that was a winnable fight for him. But he just, you know, maybe it's, you know, usually when you win a belt, you know, you get better. But it just seems like he kind of, you know, he, he degraded a little bit. And maybe he looked past, you know, DeGale, knowing that he just beat him. It's a rematch. Maybe he wanted another fighter. Maybe Danny. Um, he just didn't look right, you know, Saturday night to me. Um, he would have got Beating pretty bad against Danny if that was him in the ring. Uh, if 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 we would have fought uh, Truex uh, the other night, Danny stopped him in twelve rounds the first time they fought. He would have stopped him in maybe less than six in that fight. Well, I'm gonna tell you what. I mean, I've done seen there, done been there, done that. You know, with Truex and and Danny, I don't want to see it again because it really wasn't. It was kind of competitive, but you know, Danny was definitely the boss in the ring that night. I don't see any changes. I think he'd be more dominant. You know, given the fact he's had better fights since then against better competition, I think it'd be a step down. Um, you know, fighting a guy like Truex, even when he had the belt. But I tell you what, the Gale and and Danny would be a very very you know beautiful fight to me. I think the styles would mesh well. And that's a fight I want to see. But, I mean, he's at 160 still, so we're, we're kind of talking a little bit, you know, ahead in the game. But I, I don't think it's too far ahead because I'm telling you, uh, even though he's your fighter, you know your fighter. He ain't going to last at 160 very long. No, no, not not at all. And, he's uh, busting at the seams right I, now, I, champ. <laughs> he's like the incredible Hulk, man. I'd love to get – I'd love to get – the gal in the ring with Danny. I really would. He's I, busting I, through his habit shorts right now. 
<laughs> I know. I'm going to have to triple stitch him. <laughs> there you <laughs> Rufus, do you think uh, do you think Danny's going to do much at middleweight after you know he fights Selecki, or do you think he's going to end up just going one this year? I'll tell you what. If uh, Billy Joe Saunders and Triple G do fight, and I suspect that Saunders could win it potentially, um, maybe the only fight that would make sense at middleweight after Triple G would be done would be him and Danny. Or Charlo. Um, Charlo's out there too. I mean, but them dealing with, you know, Heyman, you know, possibly, you know, they, I don't know if they can get a deal done or not. I think they're going to want more for Charlo. They're probably not going to offer the Charlo or, or Jamal Charlo much, you know, much money. He's going to think he deserves more. But but I then, think it, the but then again, in trouble. But then again, knowing Billy Joe Saunders, you know, Gypsy people—they're all about the money, just like Floyd Mayweather's about all the money too. So you yeah, know, I can also see, I can see. I could see very easily Billy Joe Saunders after a Triple G fight go straight for Canelo rather than after a tough guy like Danny. So maybe the best thing Danny could do is go to super middleweight. Well, Canelo will fight guys like Liam Smith all day, but there is not a chance in hell that, you know, Mr. Cocaine himself in Australia Hoy is going to let Billy Joe Saunders within 100 feet of Canelo. Not a chance. Well, no, no. After the after the Mayweather experiment, hell no, because he shows his limitations. Right. There's no way. There's no way. And and really, to be honest with you, you know, after Billy Joe Saunders and Charlo, you know, if Canelo's not going to fight, I mean, there's really not a whole lot left. I mean, you know, Golovkin has pretty much dominated his division. You know, if you think like I think, you know, he beat Canelo. There's I don't even care about seeing a rematch right now. I never did. I think Billy Joe Saunders and, and Golovkin, you know, and I, people are going to say I'm crazy and Twitter's going to call me, you know, piece of shit and, you know, uh, oh, my God, he said that, whatever. But I always want to see Billy Joe Saunders, you know, more than the rematch with Canelo. That's the fight I really wanted to see. Maybe I'm crazy. Am I crazy, guys? No, no. That is the logical fight. After, you know, this uh, abortion, if you will, of Spike O'Sullivan, it's the only thing that makes sense. Well, here's here's my, you know, my reasoning about this. You know, Alvarez, you know, has fought some tremendous talent in his career. You know, at middleweight, he didn't, in my opinion. You know, I mean, he fought he fought Triple G, but he didn't win that fight. You know, he got he got pushed around the ring. You know, he was on his back. You know, but he wasn't being smart, you know, all the time on the ropes. He he landed some combinations and some decent punches, but he didn't, you know, control the ring. Like Muhammad Ali controlled the ring even though he was on the ropes against George Foreman. That was, you know, totally, you know, total control. You know, that was being the boss, you know, the whole night being on the ropes, but he still controlled the whole fight. Canelo did not do that. You know, he got overwhelmed. And he landed some combinations, but he didn't do enough. You know, he was pushed all night long, kind of like the way Laura was pushed against Jared Hurt. You know, I can't give a win, you know, to a guy that lands some combinations, but you know, 40 minutes of the fight, his back, you know, he's got ro- he's got rope burn on his back because he's been laying on him, you know, so much. I can't do that, and I don't feel that 
Canelo really does enough to meet a merit rematch right now. He should prove himself, you know, a little bit more at middleweight. You know, Billy Joe Saunders went to, you know, one of the maybe third, fourth best middleweight in a division, a guy that gave, you know, Triple G, you know, some problems, made him change his style. I wouldn't say gave him problems, but he made, you know, there's only certain guys in the game right now that made, you know, Triple G change his style and adapt. And, you know, David Lemieux was one of them guys. He made Golovkin turn into a jabber and a boxer. And he was very, very patient in that fight and very, very, you know, uh, the power, he felt it. And he respected it. And if he respects that power, he's not going to push you all night long. He's going to he's going to change his style. And only a couple guys did it. Danny did that in spurts, Andre, but he didn't do it all night. But, right. you know, Lemieux, all night long, it was a jabbing contest. You know, he would throw combinations in spurts. And, you know, he adapted like a champion. But there's not many guys that could do that. And Billy Joe Saunders totally scolded, totally scolded a guy. You know, even more humiliating to me than what Canelo did to him, you know, via 12 rounds and just, just clowned him all night. I think he beat him more decisive than Triple G did. And to do that to me, you know, at middleweight and you're a true middleweight, you know, you deserve a fight more than a guy that got beat and just got a rematch because of the money. And that's the only reason why this fight's being made or was being made, um, you know, is because of the money. It was a money grab. You know, the draw, you think that draw was, you know, uh, was just, uh, you know, a, a freak occurrence? You think it was just, oh, it just happened to happen? Come on. Get the hell out of here. Because if well, Golovkin would have got a unanimous decision or even a split decision, there's no way in hell this damn fight would be happening again. It was a nope. money grab from the beginning. Not one single bit. And, and you know what? You know who wins? You know who really wins right now? And people might disagree, but the fans, the fans win, especially the fans that knew that Golovkin won that fight, knew he got robbed, and knew what the whole thing was about. It's about the damn money. It's about De La Hoya, you know, Canelo being the draw, you know, uh, Golovkin getting another payday, and then the fans spending, you know, 79.95, you know, a, a eight months later, you know, getting screwed again because they didn't get the result they were supposed to get in the first place. I think right. the fans win. I agree. I really do. Uh, and it it also uh, opens up the middleweight division more. You know, even though, you know, Triple G's not going to fight, you know, the, the best guy, you know, the second, third best guy in the division, you know, on a month, uh, one month's notice, he still, you know, is not going to be fighting Canelo. He's going to leave other opportunities for middleweights, and he's going to actually, you know, I think make the division even better because he's not going to be tied up so much with Alvarez. We thought Alvarez and, and Triple G was going to be tied up for possibly a year, year and a half. They could possibly fight four times in a row. You know, and this busts middleweight wide open. And I think it's good for the division. It's not good for Canelo. It's not good for, you know, the Mexican fans, that you know, the Canelo fans. But you know what? Even if you beat a, eat a bad, bad hamburger or you're shooting up or we're doing whatever, you're getting punished. And he's, he needs to learn his lesson. Uh, I'm glad that the punishment is happening. I'm, and I'll be honest with you, I'm glad that, uh, you know, better things could happen in the middleweight division. You know, these guys have been fighting so long. And, you know, they're waiting on these guys. You got Danny, you know, waiting. You got, you know, Darren Shinko waiting. You know, he might get the opportunity. 
And I think Andre knows more than he's letting on, but it's okay. I love you anyway, brother. <laughs> Big Mike, I, take, I kid you not. If I knew more, you'd know more. You'd be, you'd be the second side of my cerebellum. <laughs> But I'm just I, saying, uh, you know more. I'm telling you, I just got to feel it. I mean, you would tell me, and you might tell me after we get off the show. <laughs> I think, I, I just think that Luda Bella, and I think, you know, the powers that be are saying, Andre, you say one word on ATG, you know, that's your ass. You're in trouble. We're not going to make the fight. They, 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 now, you know what? You know how I feel about threats. <laughs> I wish they would set me. If there was something going on, I'd tell the whole goddamn world. Well, you know what? Two Russians in California doesn't really make sense either. It kind of does. It makes more sense than a Russian and an Irishman in California. So, yeah, a little bit at least. <laughs> but I think I think Mungia could still get it. Uh, have you heard anything, Rufus, from your Irish contingent? <laughs> no. Um, like I said, I think it's pretty much um, – Set in stone, Gary Spiko Sullivan and Gennady Galactic. Really? I would think the same way, but the change of venue really just messes my mind up. You know, thinking it, it that way. Don't, it don't to me because, quite honestly, who, how can you sell that kind of tickets? You know, they have to change the venue to a lower thing. To be honest yeah. with you, I would I would throw that some bitch in Ireland. I'd put Golovkin or in the UK. I think Golovkin in the UK, and they're not going to do it on a month's notice, of course. But it could happen. It's doable. I think it'd be crazy. I think it'd be you know it, it could even do. It's not going to do as good as a Klitschko Joshua, but I think it could be close. They could definitely sell fifty thousand. I don't, I don't, I don't think one. there's an. I don't think there's enough time to really draw, drum up the interest. To be honest, yeah. Um, yeah, I, but if, I you, really if you brought in Eddie Hearn, I guarantee you he could make it happen. Probably, but he's going to want you know. Is Spike a, yeah, Spike's a, a Hearn guy, right? Uh, uh, no, no, I don't. He, uh, I think no, I don't even think he's a warring guy to tell you the I truth. I thought he was because you guys were going to fight him, and it was being you're highly considered. Because I no, thought the reason no, being is because he was a Hearn guy. No, because he's with Golden Boy. He he has two promoters. Um, Golden Boy and is co-promoting him with another group. I'm going to find out who it is. I'll have it's that. It's kind of like you know Joseph Parker, you know, being promoted by Duco, but co-promoted by Top Rank. Right, in in in, in that in that uh, sense and in that realm, but I have to find out who that actually Look, is. I'm gonna be honest with you. If you drop that fight in Ireland or in the UK, you're not gonna need that much preparation because I'm gonna be. I love the UK fans. I love them. You know, I wish I could be a boxing writer and move to the UK because boxing. <laughs> it's like the fifties. It's like the forties, the thirties, forties, and fifties, sixties. You know, it was it, boxing is one of the biggest sports. In the UK, you know, maybe next to soccer, oh, yeah. it's huge. Definitely. And Rufus, you can tell you, know, you can testament to this. You know, I mean, the the boxing fans in the UK are some of the most loyal, you know, passionate, you know, just awesome 
fans. You know, they're really you know besides the his, you know the Mexican fans in Mexico, they love boxing too. You know, next to soccer, you know, boxing's pretty much it. You know, it's a major sport in Mexico. It's a major sport you know in the UK. I wish it could still have that luster here in the United States, and I feel that's really lost it, especially since the heavyweight division, you know, kind of collapsed with, you know, Lennox Lewis retiring, Evander Holyfield, you know, going down, you know, Mike Tyson getting knocked out and retiring. You know, it really lost a lot with the heavyweight division, starting with the heavyweight division. You know, but the U.K. has got so strong. It's not even the heavyweights. Even though Anthony Joshua is the biggest draw in the U.K., you know, these guys love the small guys. They they don't care. You can have 20 losses and be a hometown guy and still sell thousands and thousands of tickets you know, and be on TV. You know, they love boxing completely. Right. They certainly do. And it doesn't matter who, what, where, why, when. They just seem to support they're fighters, and and that's all it need be is they're fighters, and they will have 150% support. I mean, what do you? I, I know you love the UK fans too. You know, you love the uh, the gypsies. You know, you love everybody over there, Rufus. You know, why are they so passionate about boxing when you know here in the United States, where it's supposed to be the mecca of boxing, it seems like. You know, we're not even one iota, you know, 1% as passionate as these fans in the UK are. Can you explain that? Well, even though America has been the mecca of boxing, uh, quite frankly, you know, this sport, for all intents and purposes, was given birth to in Great Britain. Oh, yeah. And, I mean... I mean, it was always there. Even in the bare-knuckle times, the first champion of the world was James Figg from Great Britain. Um, the oldest pair of boxing gloves found was at Hadrian's Wall in Great Britain. I mean, it's such deep-rooted. I, I think the enthusiasm with Great Britain is the fact that American boxing has declined so much and we can argue why there is that decline whether it's the amateur system or the promoters are so big and powerful over here that it's choked out you know the developmental smaller promotions um whatever you want to argue but the enthusiasm has spiked in great britain because their superior um seating system and the amateurs combined with their regional championships and pro developmental has made them go from being brave gallant losers who went out on their shields like Frank Bruno and stuff like that to being the top guys because we have dropped off so fast in virtually all divisions even when the U.S. was the mecca considered the mecca you know, back, you know, 60s, 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, you know, the U.K. still was so passionate, even back then. You know, they just happen to have more champions now and more talent, you know, because of the amateur system, in my opinion. But, you know, these guys, you know, Nigel Benn, you know, come to the States and he fought, you know, when Chris Eubank, you know, fought Nigel Benn in the U.K., I mean, these people would travel thousands of miles. Down, well, you got to understand. The ocean. Well, you, well, you, you got to understand. Great Britain is an island country. You saw these guys from the time they turned pro 
all the way to the end. They were always on local television. You know, you could turn on the TV, it'd be Channel 2, Channel 3, Channel 4. There is boxing. And you saw these guys, and you became emotionally attached to them. That don't happen in America. You don't see guys uh, from the beginning to the end. Even, you know, over even there in the United different. States, when we were on top in boxing, even like when Mike Tyson was dominating, you know, when, you know, uh, guys like Evander Holyfield, you know, stuff like that. When they went overseas, you didn't see, you know, you didn't hear people taking over the arena that's rooting for the, you know, for the, the away guy. You know, in, in England, you, you got guys like when Ricky Hatton, you know, fought Floyd Mayweather, uh, you know, Joe Calzaghe comes over. You know, these guys are so determined and so just passionate and loyal that basically I've never seen it where you're fighting in a, an America arena, American, you know, uh, Vegas, you know, uh, Brooklyn, uh, AC, it don't matter. You know, when these guys fought, the crowd overwhelmed, you know, the home guy. You know, you're an American fighting an Englishman. Because and here, here's the from, thing. It's, it's here's crazy. the thing. These people are symbols to them. They represent the whole country, whereas oh, there's yeah. no boxer in America that we can point to say that's the representation of America, unlike over there. I mean, I mean, look at like the Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor thing. You know how many thousands of Irishmen and like Englishmen crossed the oceans for this guy who had a snowball's chance in hell <laughs> and everything like that. It was because exactly. to them he represents them, right. and, you know, and, and we don't have that. We don't have that in American boxing. No. There is no Rocky. There is no Rocky Balboa to represent everybody in America over here. No, no. and and that's the thing. Like just like Deontay Wilder, you know, he, he should be, you know, more loved by people. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. but it's also attitude speaks a lot too. And you know, I feel that his promoter's not doing his job. You know, if if Deontay well, Wilder, that's a lot of it. That's if a lot Deontay Wilder was a Don King fighter, he you know back in the day in, in, in early nineties or late nineties, early two thousands, people can huge. say what they want, but Don King was absolutely huge for boxing. Don King was the <laughs> best promoter that ever lived, and I, I don't care. I wouldn't say ever left. Tex Rickard, you know, Tex Rickard was damn good back in the day. You know, uh, Jack Dempsey. They, but they had the guys to promote. You know, they had. They didn't really have to build guys up. You know, guys like Jack Dempsey, like Joe Lewis. You know, like Rocky Marciano. They were personalities. They were people. You know, people persons. They were. They were just. You know, the kind of guys that fight fans love. You know, they had a great story. They were very respectful. Like Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was hated. By many, but he was loved by many more. You know, well, um, the thing they, with Ali, well, the thing with all them guys you talked about, they they personified their age, their era, their decade. But they were, and when Ali, and when Ali came around originally, he was still there. Were still like these like uh, hipster type people, you know, like greasers and shit. And they were like, oh, you got to be pro American. You got to be a certain way, or we don't like you at all. His time didn't come until the 70s when it was more American to be un-American in a way, and he finally found his crowd. Right, he, but, he, but he also took the show on the road. He was loved internationally, 
You know, I mean, he had people, you know, in Manila, you know, they would trade their kids for tickets to that fight. You know, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. That's how intense it was, you know, with Muhammad Ali fighting over there. You know, um, it's just, but they were the best self-promoters ever, guys like that. Muhammad Ali self-promoted big time. Look at George Foreman. George Foreman was one of the most hated men in the world, you know, when he fought Muhammad Ali. You know, people just hated him. They loathed him. You know, he was just, he was the bad guy. He had a whole country hating him, you know, because Muhammad Ali, you know, was talking about the German shepherds that he had and, you know, saying, you know, know the whole story. You know, Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali turned a whole country against George Foreman. And back when he was, you know, Mr. Frankenstein, just walking everybody like a zombie, you know, fighting like he did, you know, he was not the most personable guy. And it kind of reminded me, to, in a sense, like the way Deontay Wilder is now. But, you know, fast forward 10 years after his loss to, uh, uh, was it, what, Jimmy Young, I think, mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, fast forward after that, he retired. You know, he rethought everything, and he came back as this happy, jovial, hamburger-eating heavyweight that everybody loved. You know, it, it's so amazing. A guy like George Foreman went from the, one of the most hated guys to one of the most loved guys you know, in 10 years because he thought about, what am I going to do? How am I going to present myself? He turned into a businessman in 10 years that he was off, and he ended up being one of the best businessmen, in my opinion, that ever lived. That is some of the most brilliant stuff he pulled uh, ever. I've never seen another guy that's such a great promoter like George Foreman. And but Muhammad Ali's up there with him. Rocky Marciano, you know, Joe Lewis was good. I mean, these guys were self-promoters, but they had good promoters behind them to push them over the edge. And that's what we don't have nowadays. We don't have good self-promoting guys, and they do in the UK as well. Tyson Fury is an awesome self-promoter. You know, Billy Joe Saunders, you know, he's controversial, but he's a good self-promoter as well. All these guys in the U.K., they also push themselves, too. And Anthony Joshua, he, he kind of has that class about him, but not like Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury is, he's epic. He's like George Foreman, like Muhammad Ali, when it comes to self-promotion. And it works for him. And that's why these fans love him so much, and they travel three, 4,000 miles to see him. And when he's fighting a guy in, in America that's an American in his hometown, you know, he has so many fans from overseas that they're, you know, they're they're outnumbering, you know, the guy's hometown. But that's that's the love of the game. That's the love they have for these fighters. But it also is because I think the U.K. has better boxing personalities right now, and they're better self-promoters. And uh, it's a shame that Deontay Wilder, you know, isn't isn't like that right now. You know, the win against Ortiz, it was a great win. You know, he should be plastered all over TV right now. He should be making cameos in movies. You know, instead of Ronda Rousey's ass being in the fucking WWE, it needs to be Deontay Wilder. Yeah, that right. You know, I mean, I, I know that Rufus, you know, you love seeing Ronda Rousey, you know, tackling, you know, Triple H or whoever, whoever whatever his name is now. <laughs> I know you kind of, you know, you love seeing hey, hey, that her, body. Hey, hey, her and them tight shorts she was wearing, you know, them short shorts. Are you going to hate on me for that? But uh, I'm not hating uh, on you. No, no, I'm a man. I, I respect, you know, your horniness about Ronda Rousey. But hey, every hey. time I see Ronda Rousey, you know, I always picture that left foot, you know, from Holly Holm touching her, just knocking her completely out. 
And after I've seen a woman get knocked out in the ring, I just I don't find them attractive anymore. Maybe I'm weird, but you know, something about women getting bloodied up. Yeah, yeah, you you like the you like the idea of an undefeated woman who cannot lose, who would just eat anybody up alive, Doss. That's your fetish. I like you are a woman who can kick your ass. (laughs) I do, I do, but I like a woman that doesn't have an attitude, you know, like a bitch. Like Ronda Rousey. Well, then again, you know, that's the flip side. You were talking about Deontay Wilder. I think what holds him back in a lot of ways is him playing the bad guy role when he shouldn't have to. This is a guy with unbelievable punching power and everything else. He shouldn't have to act that way. Yeah, but, you know, he's not even a bad guy compared to Riddick Bowe. He's a fucking, you know... Oh, no. Oh, no, dude. Riddick Bowe is one of the most... Controversial heavyweights that ever lived. You know, Rock Newman was just scum. I mean, this guy was a, a, a shysty car salesman. You know, that was you know, violent. He he loved violence. I mean, they they had so many riots. You know, uh, every fight. You know, they tried. You know, some fights they did more than others, but you know they didn't care. They wanted a riot. He was a very bad guy, but he was still more loved than Deontay Wilder. And it's amazing to me that a guy like Riddick Bowe. You know, gets more love than water, and water well, the thing to be as bad as that. Well, I think the thing with it back then, if there was Twitter and so and uh, Facebook, social media in general existing back then, he'd be every bit as hated, if not more, than Deontay Wilder. The Galata fight was on pay per view, and millions seen it, and that's not yeah, but you know, it's exactly a lot the equivalent to Twitter, but. Well, well, it's a lot different, you know, because you ain't able to really vocalize your displeasure, your hatred or whatever, you know, about somebody. These days you can say whatever, you know, and it just sticks. There's a stigma that stays. Back then then things died out because they weren't around all the time. Well, the thing about Deontay Wilder is, you know, people always say I hate the guy. I don't fucking hate him. Actually, I'm disappointed that the wins that this guy's getting, and uh, the most fan, you know he's the most fan friendly heavyweight. Right. The now. thing that's aggravating with him, in my mind, is that it took 40 fights for him to show just how badass and talented he really is. Well, but, but but here's an but here's an example. I know but I blame his pro- right but I blame his promoters. I blame matchmakers and everybody else for that. I'm loving this combo, so I don't mind about being overtime. Hopefully, you guys don't mind either because I think it's a good deep conversation. Um, but anyway, Deontay Wilder. It, it reminds me of Oscar De La Hoya, and I know it's a big transition. You know, totally different sizes. I mean, it don't matter. Fifty, you know, sixty, you know, pounds apart. But it really reminds me of that because back in the day, Oscar De La Hoya was, you know, he was hated, you know, because he, everybody was calling him a cherry picker. Like they called Floyd Mayweather, you know, uh, back in the day when he was like, you know, uh, three, four defenses, you know, when he's not really, you know, he's a champion. He's fought on pay-per-view, but a lot of people thought he picked his fights very easy. You know, they said, well, I would gonna say step up? if we're, if we're going to talk cherry picking, then I would say in uh, his prime, um, Cherry picker for me. When I think cherry picker, I think Roy Jones Jr. To be honest with you. Um, okay, wait, wait, wait. You're gonna tell me that a guy that 
you know, the first guy to ever beat James Tony. You know, uh, the first guy, the only guy in what twelve years to beat Bernard Hopkins. You yeah, know, but the guys vast majority that, of guys that he fought while as champion were like part-time fighters who were like full-time cops or whatever else. That was a you mandatory. Know, that was a mandatory. Richard you Brady. know, at, you know, and I'm like, holy shit, you know, and it was just like this endless string of. Bombs. Are you are you getting this, Coach? You, you ain't you ain't lost. You ain't let this shit right. Are you hearing this, Andre? He probably he's on. got maybe he got that's tied right. up or something. I but, know he's uh, if he heard that he'd be definitely. But, but then again, I, but then again, every single champion unfortunately has a string of people who they who shouldn't be fighting them, you know, but. Uh, look what I mentioned last week. You know, just like guys, and you would never think that now. If you're a mainstream fan, and you you know look at legends like you know Joe Lewis, who people applaud now and love him, and you know he he was just such a hero. You know, he had a lot of haters back in the day. You know, the bum of the month club, they were saying, you know, he fought, you know, horrible opposition. You know, they were matching with bums all the time. You know, he was a champion, and they were talking about him like that. They don't talk about him like that anymore. And that's what I'm, you know, about Roy Jones. Roy Jones, you know, fought some good guys. I, I wouldn't call him a cherry picker at all. I mean, maybe later on in his career when he could, you know, be a cherry picker. But, you know, you're talking the first guy that Roy Jones fought that was, a, you know, pretty much his biggest, his toughest guy at the, at the point in his career was Jorge Vaca. And Jorge Vaca, you know, he, he had, you know, 50-plus fights. He had nine losses at the time. It, it on paper, you know, it it looked a lot better. I mean, if you just looked at his record or just seen his record, you say, oh, he's got almost ten losses. He was tougher than old boot. I mean, Jorge Vaca was a rugged dude, rugged champion. You know, you got to remember what happened before Roy Jones, Roy Jones fought him, and why it was such a tough, you know, on paper fight for him. I mean, the guy fought, you know, everybody in his division. You know, he's one of them guys that, you know, if you look great against him, no one else really has. Uh, if you struggle against him, that's probably what's going to happen when you fight the top of the, your division. It, it, it's a litmus test is what it is. And and this guy, you know, is coming off wins again two, twice over Quincy Taylor, former champion, very good champion. Mark Breland, who people thought was, you know, yeah, going to be the best fighter to ever live. Yeah, but then you got to throw in guys, like I said, like, um, David Telesco, Richard Hall, you know, Richard Fraser. That is when Roy you was know, pretty much, you know, dominated the 175 division. You know, there was no one else to fight except Darius, you know, Mikroszewski, who was not going to come you to know, the state. And, and then you got guys like Vinny Pazienza, you know, who was old at that time, you know, I mean... Tony Thornton, you know. What I mean? I'm gonna break it down. We're over time, like I said, and, but I'm, I'm. This is good stuff to me. And, and Andre, I don't know if you're listening. You're still on. I'm here. You know, I'm okay. here. Okay. He's saying that Roy Jones was a cherry picker, and I mean, some people can agree with that, but I want to break it down. You know, where it, in my opinion. Okay. First, Jorge Vaca, like I mentioned before, you know, the guy has a win over before he fought Roy Jones. Okay. He beat former champion Saul Mamby, which is a very, very tricky guy to fight. Uh, you know, Pino Cuevas, who was over, you know, he was over the hill in his career, but, I mean, it's still a good win on paper. 
Uh, he beat Lloyd Hunnigan. He's the first guy to ever beat Lloyd Hunnigan in England. He, and then he rematched him, and then he lost by knockout in the third round. You know, he goes on to, to lose to Simon Brown, who's a, t- I mean, a very, very tough guy. Terry Norris, split decision, he lost. Uh, that's nothing to shake your head about, you know, be disappointed about. And then and then he, he wins six straight fights, okay, against limited opposition up until he fought Quincy Taylor and beat him twice. And then he's come off a knockout win against Mark Breland. And then Roy Jones knocks him out in one round in, in like a minute and 40 seconds. I mean, one punch. I'm not Roy saying. I'm not him. Say, I am not saying that he did not fight good good guys and beat him, Doss. But I'm just saying, when you were talking about cherry picking, my whole point was that virtually every guy who's worth anything has fought a string of crappy guys when they could have been fighting other people who were worth more. Roy Jones did that. Floyd Mayweather did that. Oscar De La Hoya did that. Well, even Bernard Hopkins. Even Bernard Hopkins did that to where they could have fought other people, but instead fought too well, easy of guys. I say half the time, you know, that that happens. You also got to blame, you know, the sanctioning bodies who, who bring out some of the scrubbiest of the scrubs, you know, and make it mandatory. Because oh, yeah. they want to keep the sanctioning bodies, you know, the sanctioning fees going. You know, that's why they have mandatory. You know, they say it's to give people chances, but come on. Andre, you know this shit. You know, they make mandatories to get paid. You know, mm-hmm. you just fight, and then, you know, they, they say, well, you got a mandatory. You have to have this fight, you know, done in 30 days, you know, or we're going to strip you the title. Well, it's and, the same shit that Tyson Fury went through with the IBF, and they stripped him, and, uh, who was that fucking guy who fought Charles Martin? It was some guy I never even heard of before, and then Charles Martin became the champ, and then Glasgow, like, or, uh, uh, Glasgow. Yeah, and then like Anthony Joshua beat Charles Martin, but I mean, a lot of these people, you're like, who? Yeah, who but the fuck are you? Charles Martin about? got paid two mil or three mil, you know. Uh, basically, money paved the way for Anthony Joshua to get that done. And it was a very smart move on Hearn's part. I can't, you know, fault Eddie Hearn for that. No, I know I can't fault it. I can't fault it like uh, managerial wise. It was an excellent move, but you know, I understand. You know, but. but not only did you know Charles Martin get paid, but I guarantee you that the IBF got paid. Too. Oh Big yeah, time. definitely. That's why they do that shit. Oh, yeah, that is the only you don't reason think why they're going to throw three mil at a fighter. And the damn you know, the sanctioning bodies not gonna get their piece of the pie. They're gonna, they're gonna get more. They're gonna get more than crumbs. That that's what that's why there's 22 boxing organizations out there with like a dozen belts per the sanctioning thing. So I mean, come on. All right, let me break this down. Okay, we got Jorge Vaca down. Then we got we got to put in Jorge Castro, former champion, very very tough guy. One of the you know one of the tough you know great champions coming out of Argentina. You know, he blew him out, just shut it. I mean, you're not going to knock out Castro back in that day because he was just, un, you know, un, you couldn't knock him out. He was like, you made a stone. But he scored it. It was, just, it was an easy 10-round decision. I think he won every single round. And this is a champion. This is a guy that, you know, went on to win a belt. Um, you know, he, he gave Terry Norris a pretty tough fight. Uh, Jones beat him, you know, decisively. And he goes on, and I think he wins, you know, a couple damn belts. He ends up knocking knocking out John David Jackson, um, you know, late in the fight that Jackson was on. You know, we mentioned fights that fighters were ahead on all the cards, got knocked out late. That was one of them. 
you know, John David Jackson and, and uh, you know, Jorge Castro was phenomenal. And, you know, like we were talking about YouTube, good on YouTube. Check that fight out. You want to see some craziness? Look up Jorge Castro, John David Jackson. You know, but that's what I'm saying. You know, he had so much luck or had so much uh, success later on in his career. You know, and Roy just, you know, decimated him. You know, didn't knock him out, but he just scored him. And that's how good Roy was. I mean, even guys that he scored well, early in his career, look at Hopkins. You well, know, I didn't think that of, fight was close. Well, it was kind of the um, discussion we had earlier in the show when we were talking about um, especially guys in the lighter weights that uh, the moment their speed and reflexes go, it's so blatantly obvious. You know, and the thing with Roy Jones with me, was he so great because of his skills or was it because of his speed? Because the moment he started really slowing down, he looked ordinary against an awful lot of guys that had he fought them earlier on in his career, he would have made them look stupid. You know, so it's one of them big questions. Well, look at, you know, after James Tony, I do admit that, you know, the opposition slowed, you know, down for Jones. But, Jones, I mean, Roy Jones beat James Tony. James Tony was one of the best power well, fighters in the world. Well, the, cra- well, the crazy thing in retrospect, if you look at everybody's careers, even though Roy Jones beat B-Hop and Tony, one could argue that retrospectively B-Hop and Tony had better careers and accomplish more than what Roy Jones did. Yeah, but James Tony, one thing he can't do is call himself a heavyweight champion. That's true. No, but was that close. was a man who that was a man who you could have argued should have deserved a shot at the Kalichko brothers, but he didn't get it. Yeah, but he was that he was that good at he was that good at heavyweight that he should have. Well, the thing with Roy Jones is Roy should have either retired or he should have stayed at heavyweight. That is the biggest mistake he ever made. Uh, going up, you know, even even though you're winning a full-size heavyweight, you're 190-plus pounds, you know, you, you color the short Ruiz. Ruiz is a very, very tough nut to crack, you know, unless you're David Tia. But he learned from that, and he got ugly and dirty as hell. You know, very, very hard to fight. And he just, he scored him. He totally decimated him. He was totally, um, he, he got him out of the game mentally, kind of like what Muhammad Ali did to George Foreman. He he did had a game plan, and he fulfilled that game plan. He had John Ruiz so pissed off, and Stony Stone so pissed off at the end of that fight, I was cracking up because I couldn't stand John Ruiz. But I liked Stoney after that because he come on the show and he's actually a good guy. Uh, he's awesome. <laughs> I love Stony Stone now, but back then I couldn't stand him because I hated Johnny. I could not stand Johnny. Mm. You know, but Ruiz was, you know, he, he adapted later on in his career. He got a belt. He got smart. It might not have been good to look at, but he was very successful, and uh, he was very hard to fight. And Roy Jones just totally scored him. I mean, just a beatdown. And then he drops all that That's weight, fights Tarver again. You had a win over Tarver. I don't give a shit. You know, you beat Tarver. You should have never fought him again. And you know, it was nope. the end of his career. I thought he honestly lost that first one. To be honest no, with you, no, I thought it was I thought he I thought he lost it, and then, like I said, the rematch, and then the rubber match. 
pretty much put the stamp on it. Oh, to me, his career was over after he beat John Ruiz. Yeah, and he should have stayed at heavyweight. He should have made some beautiful music with Evander Holyfield. You know, probably would have got the Tyson fight, which would have been amazing. No, no, he would have got no, Tyson. I guarantee fucking no, see it, Rufus. No, because I remember that point in time because Roy Jones was like, "Oh, I'll fight Mike Tyson for a hundred million dollars," and back at that point in time, a hundred million was unheard of. Yeah, but uh, okay, you got. You know, the highest on. amount of money being paid out at that point was like forty-five million to like uh, Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson. So to you say you high? wanted to to Roy Jones and Mike Tyson for a hundred million just for one guy, if he, he didn't Jones want it. He would have went want. straight through Evander Holyfield after John Ruiz and 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 just schooled him. It would have made you know the. I don't know Mike if he could have did that. I don't At know that if he point of Holyfield's career, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know if he could have did it at that point with Vander because think, uh, for me, Andre? he he I took think, like I think, yeah. yeah. I think I honestly think that if he would have kept the momentum going after the Ruiz fight, and I think him going back down the light heavyweight was the biggest mistake he could have ever made. If he would have just held his ground. He was such a phenomenal athlete, and uh, he and Holyfield would have put on what a show. I mean, if Ooh. James Tony, if James Tony uh, could have been as successful as he was against uh, Evander, why couldn't uh, Roy have been? And I think he would have been. And then, the only, di- of course, the only difference on that is, you know, James Tony, you know, Roy had him with James that Tony had a chance. Well, he he yeah, had smarts. Yeah. He had he had adaption, is what he had. You know, he adapted to Vander. And if you know Roy was a physical fighter, definitely he was an athletic guy. Um, I don't know if he would adapt to Vander as much as James, because I think really all in all, James Tony was a smarter fighter than Roy Jones. But Roy was so athletically talented that his athleticism and speed beat those smarts of James Tony. But James got smarter as he went on. He had a plan B. That was the difference. You know, I mean, that, that's just how I feel. I feel James Tony had a plan B. You know, he had a plan B, C, D, E, F, and G. I mean, he had a, a anything you threw at James Tony, you know, he could he could counter you. He could adapt. You know, he could he could you know one up you. Don't matter what you threw at him, what style you were, southpaw, you know, orthodox, it don't matter. You know, he could adapt to your style, and I don't feel that Roy had that many plans in his book that James Tony had. James was a complete fighter, man. He was smart. Oh, absolutely. But that's he, how he was a throwback. He was that's a throwback to, like, was. Ezra Charles and all that. Oh, but that's yeah. how good Roy Jones was. Roy Jones was so athletic that it don't matter how smart you was as a fighter, the speed and the precision was just so amazing. He, he didn't do it by the book. It was like Prince Nassim Hamed. You know, he did so many things wrong, but they were so, you know, he, he did them right. It was so wrong that it was right. It was so unorthodox that fighters could not handle it. And Roy was like that, too. And the one misstep that he has on his speed or anything like that, you know, people are going to finally catch him. And, you know, instead of getting smarter, he kept on with the athleticism, but James Tony, you know, got smarter. 
he, he you know he he knew how to adapt, and that's the only difference. Even even Bernard Hopkins, Bernard Hopkins could adapt a lot more than Roy Jones. I think they were smarter fighters, but I think that Roy, you know, talent wise, like uh, just you know, gifted wise, was much more talented, you know, in the ring. He was just more like Sugar Ray Robinson, same way. You know, Sugar Ray Robinson lost a step later on, but he, he had over a hundred. You know, well, the crazy thing with well, the crazy thing with Robinson was he fought on fifteen or twenty years, nearly after his prime, and oh, he yeah. was still he was still handling himself well against guys who were in the top fifteen or ten. And everything, and it was absolutely unbelievable. Look at his fights when he had with like Terry Downs and people like that, and he was ancient, more than oh, yeah. ancient, and more well, than look at his done. knockout against Gene Fulmer. Only guy to ever knock out Gene Fulmer. One of the most perfect left hooks ever. Perfect punch. Yeah, that, that was when he, but that was when he was past his prime. But that yeah. version, that version of him would have beaten anybody today. I tend to think, and that's the cra- that's the crazy part. But he fought on about fifteen years after that. That's the crazy thing. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, but he he was he was a complete guy. He was smart too. But Roy, in my opinion, is one of the most athletic. You know, well, that was the question I had with Roy. Was I said was it because he was so skillful, or was it because of he was such the athlete? I think it was a little bit you of know. both. But I think the athleticism pushed him over. Uh, Andre, what do you think? I know it's getting late, well, man. We're about to end this, though. But what do you think about? That? I think, I think actually, Roy, Roy was a gifted talent. I mean, um, as his, his athletic capabilities took him over the top, but he was also a very creative fighter in the ring. Oh yeah. I mean, he did some amazing things in the ring, and um, I think when it came to a point where he was just relying on his athleticism more so than his skill capability. That's when he started falling off, and he didn't re- he didn't reset. Where a good fighter and a great fighter knows that they have to take the time to reevaluate what they're doing so that they can stay current with their abilities as they age. I don't think he did that. I think he was still waiting to be Roy Jones of old as he was getting older. I also think that Roy is one of his main problems in his career. And I'm knocking him a little bit, but I love Roy. I mean, let's get that right. I don't want the fan Twitter to be blowing up and all that, you know, hating me again. But anyway, I think Roy's biggest problem was his loyalty. And the reason I say that is, you know, Roy had the same trainers his whole career, Alton Murphy oh, yeah. and his dad. And he, right. I think he those you know his dad was a good trainer in 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 a way, but I don't think he was diverse enough. He's only worked you know he worked a couple guys, but you know he worked local guys. He worked his son. You know, you didn't really have right. to work with Roy Jones. Roy Jones had so much talent that it took him far. You just had to sit in the right. ring and just watch him work. You know, yeah, you, you, you talk to him in between <laughs> rounds. I mean, you know, it's like George Foreman back, you know, in his later career, like I mentioned before, you know, when he was being trained by uh, uh, Angelo Dundee, 
later on. Angelo Dundee didn't even say nothing to him. He just he didn't sit down. No. He stood up in between rounds, and he just rested. You know, there was no words exchanged because what are you going to tell George Foreman? You know, you need to do this, you need to do that. No, George, he's a consummate pro, and Roy was the same way. You know, but he needed somebody that was smarter than him, you know, uh, from a boxing standpoint to show him other ways, to, to show him how to, you know, be more diverse. And I don't think that Alton Murkison and his dad, you know, were, you know, they were lower-level trainers in my opinion, but they had a great talent, you know, with them. I yeah. think that if he would have moved up and got a guy like Dundee and got a guy like, you know, Emmanuel Stewart, Eddie Futch, somebody like that, to really mold him, oh, he would have been probably the best fighter to ever live. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we can truly say, and this is the the honest fact, he is definitely one of the best fighters that ever lived. <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. But uh, no. imagine if he had a guy like Eddie Futch train him. Holy crap! Or Bill Miller from <laughs> Detroit that trained you know James Tony, you know, mm-hmm. or Angelo Dundee, mm-hmm. or you know Andre Rozier. <laughs> oh, I would have loved that. I would have loved that. <laughs> Yeah, but you know oh, what? You've got some God. major talent right now. And, uh, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Captain. <laughs> hey, Darren Chinko, let's put it out there. You know, he wants to fight Golovkin. You know, Ludabella would be very, very easy to work with on this. Hell, you probably give him, you know, what? What do you think? You know, give him 100 grand and give him, you know, buy him dinner and he probably got the fight. You know, Darren Chinko wants this fight. I don't think he cares about getting paid, he just wants the opportunity. Yeah, he he definitely wants the opportunity. The pay will um, come later. He he is very confident that he you know will beat Triple G, and I don't know. I mean, I can't say that Darren Schenker would win the fight. I can't say you know that Golovkin would win, but I would love to see it. It'd be a war. That's a great fight. But that on a month's notice, Golovkin would be stupid to take that fight. Yeah, it makes it's like it makes it makes no sense at all. Darren Schenker's training sure for anybody right now. He's just grinding hard. It don't matter what style's in front of him. But Golovkin's been training for months for one style. And exactly. Darren Schenker's a whole different animal than Dan Canelo. That's right. From a style exactly. standpoint. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you From what. From a style standpoint. But we, we, we gotta, got some good stuff we, out of the way. Talked about the big weekend. You know, congrats to Jared Hurd. Congrats to, you know, uh, James Gale and his fine sister. Um, you know, hey, I'm glad the Gale is not retired so we can still see that sweet honey in the ring or outside the ring. Like UK Brewery with Beyonce. Holy shit. Oh, my, my, my. That is one. Mm. Anyway, I don't want the Gale to whip my ass. So, you know, very classy, very beautiful, you know, uh, woman. But yes, she's fine. Yes, she she's sexy. Oh, okay. mm. He can he can come down here if he wants to fly all the way to Louisiana with me. That's fine, but that is one piece of ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call it like it is. <laughs> Andre, my man, keep on grinding, keep doing your thing. You got a lot of big fights yes, coming sir, up on the horizon. You oh, know. I can't wait! Some wonderful things coming up. I'm looking forward to them. They can't come soon enough. Well, champ, hang in there. Hopefully, we'll see you Wednesday. Have a great night, all the people. We will see you in. Two days. Two days. Here we come. <laughs> All right. Bye. Good night, everybody.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.